and welcome to the Minmax Show, a good place to forget bad things. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by a flailing Kyle Hilliard. Hey! Jeff Marchiafava. Hey! And a stoic Cyril Vasquez. Hello! And also, special guest, former Game Informer intern, Marcus Stewart! Hey! Welcome, sir! How's it going? Going great! It's great here! Florida is awesome! Everything's going right here at all times. Well, you heard it there first. We all have to go to Florida. <laughs> Thanks for being okay. here, Marcus. There you go. There's a lot to get into with you. Uh, first off, I wanted to... Uh, we haven't acknowledged it on the podcast at all, but I wanted to thank composer Chris Tilton of Assassin's Creed Unity fame, also SimCity 2013, for composing the Max Show's new theme song, or latest theme song at least. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and at the same time, I want to thank Aiden Walker, if you're watching the video version of this, for creating an amazing intro for us. Uh, he was a fan. He reached out and said, hey, we'd like to hire you to actually create this because you have a lot of talent that we should harness towards Minmax. So he did an amazing job. So there'll be a link in the description below for his reel if you want to find out more of his work. But thanks to Aiden and to Chris Tilton for composing the song. But uh, Marcus, you're an interesting lad. <laughs> really? Thank you. Here's the thing. So you were a Game Informer intern in what era? Um, my time was fall of 2015. Fif really? That long ago? Yeah, it's been that, like my last week there was JV's first week. Oh my oh. God, that's bizarre. So that's how I met JV. Like he was coming in, looking around the office and looking at his desk and stuff. And yeah. I yeah so you, were, you were like the veteran at that point for him almost. Like, yeah, here's where the bathrooms are. Here's where you got the water. You it's yeah, I was like, yeah. take care of my wing, kid. <laughs> so hang on. Watch out. Have you ever <laughs> met Surreal? Um, we met at E3 last year, actually, briefly. Yeah. Oh, good. Right before, like the day before the show floor, I think. Like you were with. I uh, think, uh, it was at the booth, right? The we were getting our badges. Right. You with, yeah. You were with uh, Joe and Kim. That's and right. I was with uh, Jack and our crew. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you podcast <laughs> now a fair amount with Jack Gardner, friend of the show. Uh, you are doing a Sailor Moon podcast where you break down every episode of Sailor Moon. Yeah, we're watching it for the first time and just reviewing two episodes of podcasts. It's very much like if you're if anyone's a fan of like all systems Goku from Hell Giant yeah. Bomb, One it's of the best. more or less like a similar idea to that. Yeah, and what's uh, it called? Um, a podcast by Moonlight. Awesome. So here's what I see from you, Marcus. I see you tweeting a lot about streaming your YouTube channel. And I'm not pointing any fingers. I know it seems like a weird compliment or backhanded compliment in some way, but I clicked through and I was like, let's see what this is actually like. And I was very impressed. I was like, look at this. Marcus is really going for it on his YouTube channel. Like Marcus makes media. The thumbnails look good. I clicked through a couple of videos and I was like, hey, he's very good at monologuing while playing games, which I don't know if I could do. That seems so hard. So uh, It's very hard. Yes. <laughs> congratulations. What's the process like of trying to build up a YouTube or overall internet presence for, uh, for you? Um, it's been, it's been something I've been wanting to try for pretty much years now, but it was always like, I don't have the technical know-how. I don't know how to do it. I have to buy a bunch of stuff. How do you, cause I'm not a tech guy. Yeah. Uh, contrary to popular belief. And you know, it, like anything that I've tried, you kind of have to get to the point of like, Oh, just do it. And if it's not great, it's okay. Cause you kind of have to start it to get great in the first place. Um, yeah. so it's like, oh, what's the worst that can happen? So just bought like some decent lighting and a mic. This mic stand that I have is relatively new before it was like a stack of Harry Potter books. <laughs> um, and then just wrote down stuff that like, you know, the like I would want to film stuff that I'm actually having fun with and not just like, oh, this is probably what people would watch. I mean, some of that is a factor, but like, especially because I'm doing this by myself. And that's, like I said, monologuing on camera for like an hour is very hard. <laughs> 
I think it's hard to do for uh, MinFacts, which is like our Patreon-exclusive podcast that goes up every Monday where I'm feeding off the chat. We do a call-in show every uh, month, which is nice. But it's hard to do even when you're feeding off like a pretty active chat from the MinFacts High Council crew. But mm-hmm. if it's like, okay, there's a comment every once in a while, and then it's just up to you to stay entertaining, I cannot imagine how tough that is. Like, Kyle and Serial, you're doing a fair amount of streaming, too. Do you have a tough time with that? No, it's definitely, it's a skill that you just have to practice and, and get the hang of. It's Yeah, it's it's that thing, like, you always assume, it's like, oh, they're just playing video games on live streaming. That's easy. But then it's like, if you actually do it, it's it's harder than you would think, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, it's, yeah. you have to learn how to actually have, uh, coherent conversations with yourself, basically, while also making sure that you're following along with the game. Because if you focus too much on talking, it you can get lost in the game, and if you're playing too much of the game, you're kind of silent for a while. So, it's yeah, definitely yeah. a skill. It's super hard. Uh, so you're doing like 30 days of backlog is like a big thing on your YouTube channel right now, which is Marcus Makes Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's that going? It's been great. So uh, every day, so uh, Florida went to lockdown. I guess exactly 28 days ago. And about two days before that was announced, or um, they announced it and then it went into effect two days later. I was like, okay, like I should do something, I guess. Like I'm going to be stuck at home. And I, I was like, I need something to keep myself busy. So like it came, literally just popped in my head like two days before. And I was like, it was like exciting and terrifying. Like what we just talked about, like, oh my God, every single day playing a different game for like roughly an hour and talking to myself and getting that edited and up every day for a month. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, am I could do that? And then, you know, again, like talking yourself into like, no, that's that's a really good idea. Let's just do it and see what happens. So it's I've loved it. I, day 28 is or 27 is today. It should be going up or day 28 is today. And um, it's given me a chance to uh, play a ton of games that I had been sitting on for years. Yeah. And, you know, getting to try them out for the first time and falling in love with a lot of them. Like there's been... I don't think there's really been any that I'm like, I'm never going to come back to this. What's been like the biggest uh, surprise for you? Um, Probably the stuff that is known to be bad. Like I played uh, Fallout 76 uh, pre the NPC update. And, you know, it, it's only the first hour. So it's, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg of what that game is. But I was like playing it. And I was like, okay, because I barely touched it when it launched. And I was like, oh, this is a bit more of a fallouty thing. Like I was like, I'm not hating this so far. This seems all right. Like I would play more of this to see where it goes. And, uh, also, Star Wars Battlefront 2, which I only mm. played during the beta when that thing became a giant dumpster fire. And I had heard off and on, like, oh, they've added stuff. And they, like, quietly kind of got better. So I was like, okay, let me just pop into here, play some of the campaign, played, like, a big, long multiplayer thing. I was like, huh, this is all right. Like, I'm <laughs> having a decent time with this. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, I saw, like, you're yeah. doing, like, Child of Light and uh, Mafia 3. Like, you have some really interesting choices thrown in that batch. Yeah, like Power Rangers Battle for the Grid was one that I kept hearing was like that was one of the ones I was like, oh, this is an excuse to try this. But doing it every day again. Yeah. Did you like it? I thought it was all right. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, fine. It's fine. It's not. The nice thing I'll say about the game is it's like it's better than you'd think a Power Rangers fighting game would be. Yes. That should be the back of the box quote. It's like better than you (laughs) thought it'd be. Um, But yeah, doing that for 20 over 20 something days straight has I've noticeably gotten better at doing like talking on camera by myself and having conversations and not feeling weird or awkward about it because I've had to force myself to do it. And it's also just kept me on a schedule of every day knowing like, okay, I got to get up. I have to do that. Like I know that has to to get get up. up. And then I usually do it first thing in the morning. Sometimes I've done it at night for the next day. 
Um, but I doing it in the morning has gotten my brain going of like, once I'm done with it, it's like, okay, now I'm ready for the rest of my to-do list. So it's been really helpful across the board. So. Yeah. Well, I know you said you're not a tech expert. Would you want to do me a favor and just turn down the gain on your mic? Just like 10%. percent mm-hmm. uh, and, oh. and while you do that, I want you to ask and, and or think about like, do you have any tips for people? I think there's a lot of people in the camp of during the quarantine, like, oh, maybe I should start streaming. Maybe I should start podcasting. Do you have any just big lessons you've learned or just general advice for people that want to get started? Yeah. Um, one, uh, just like, uh, you know, this is the cliche thing, but just uh, just do it. Because, like, <laughs> honestly, yeah, the first thing you start, uh, probably no one's going to watch or not a lot of people watching, so don't go in with the mentality of like you're going to be in front of like millions of people immediately because that can freak you out like odds are you're going to be in front of like nobody and so that kind of gives you some leeway to mess up in the beginning because at least you'll be messing up to like an audience of one maybe or two yeah and you know do some like light research just like like i don't know anything about mics or, or sound i had to teach all that stuff when i first started podcasting a few years ago like you know google's your best friend just google basically hey what's a good beginner mic what's a good beginner webcam uh, capture card uh, pick up what you're able to afford, but it's still of decent quality, kind of like walk that line there. Um, get that stuff and then just, um, you know, if you know anyone that's doing it, reach out to them. Like I did that with friends that have been streaming. Like just hit them up for basic advice. And so if you know someone actively that's doing it, don't be afraid to shoot them a message. Like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Can you help me out? Um, I guess pretty much what I'm doing now, <laughs> more or less. There we go. That and, sounds good. Yeah, so, and yeah, because I found that put me at ease. of like, okay, like, all right, this is this is a thing that can be done. And, you know, tr- again, try to have fun with it and try not to let it psych you out. Like, don't let this be, like, if you're not getting a lot of notice in the beginning, don't let that be, like, a, a judge of, like, your self-worth, I guess, or your talent and whatever, because there's a lot of talented, you know, content creators that maybe don't have a huge audience and it has nothing to do with, like, them. It's just, like, you know, it's... You, it's it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like yeah. you just have to, as long as you're commit to being consistent, come up with a schedule, something that you know you can commit to, and just keep going at it. Then I think sooner or later, you're gonna start to uh, gain some traction. Yeah. So, and, and worst case scenario, it's a mental workout, like you say, every morning. Just like, okay, how do I try to be entertaining while playing a game? It's a good mental challenge for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Jeff, we look forward to your stream of Red Dead Redemption Two any day now. I was waiting for that. Yep. <laughs> yes. Hey, you also, got the microphone I... now. Hey, you got the microphone. Also, do I sound better? Because I lowered the gain. I didn't realize it was up so high. Uh, I would I would actually keep lowering it, maybe another 20%, uh, but who am I to judge? Uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about the Assassin's Creed <clears throat> reveal, which is bizarre. It's happening as we're recording this. We'll get all into that. Then we're going to talk about uh, The Last of Us Part Two and also just Naughty Dog in general. And no spoilers. We promise we won't be spoiling anything about The Last of Us Part Two, but there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, then after that, we're going to be talking about Gears Tactics a little bit, Streets of Rage 4, which, Marcus, have you been playing? I have been. Great. We'll talk all about it. Uh, moving out, a new silly co-op game, a little bit about Fortnite because uh, it's a video game podcast, and then some WWE stuff, and then maybe some odds and ends after that, some more board game recommendations, Jeff. Sure. Great. And then back after the show, we have fun community questions that people submitted at patreon.com slash minmax two ends. Um, all right. Table setting. Um, the podcast is great. The minmax show is wonderful. But I would argue the star of the show, at least in my heart, 
is the deepest dive on Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is happening right now. And I understand if you're just listening to this podcast in the audio feed in particular, uh, you might not be fully glued into it, but you should... I would urge you, if you're at all interested in conversations about that game, to head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash minmaxshow, and check out those discussions. We just posted the third discussion, which is covering chapters 10 through 14 in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And uh, Jeff, we're up to nine and a half hours of talking about that game, and we're just Incredible. through chapter 14. Uh, and it's a weird thing, because it sounds like, okay, that sounds so drawn out and slow and lame, but like... I think it's a really fun discussion that goes on for nine and a half hours. Yeah, you you always apologize to me at the end of it because yeah. you know everyone else on it has played through the the original and everything. So you guys nerd out about all that stuff, but I I have enjoyed every minute of it. It's it's all been super interesting to me. So oh good, uh, and the grand finale is going to be uh, next week where we're talking about everything else in that game, the the end game content, the ending, everything like that, which I know people have been dying for us to get to, but. We're savoring it. We're enjoying it. We're uh, making the most out of it. And I, I do feel like at this point, it is absolutely the best, most of our discussion about that game on the internet. I'm really proud of it. So please check that out. Also, uh, coming up this Friday is the first special edition of Photo Mode Snap, which is our community screenshot review show. Um, and the community voted and they chose as the game for us to review screenshots from uh, to be Breath of the Wild, which I don't think I expected out of that batch for this game to win. Um, so Jeff, I'm at some point uh, later today, I'm going to need you to go through a bunch of Breath of the Wild screenshots right. and get that ready for Professor Kyle and I to review. Okay. Uh, great. And then also just a reminder that it is the end of the month. So if you want your picture, any picture you want on the TV behind us in the set here, uh, let us know what you'd like and support us at the $100 tier, the Wall of Heroes tier on Patreon. Uh, and also if you'd like a custom thank you video, that's at the $50 tier and we'll do whatever you want. Just let us know. Okay. Let's start the actual show here. Um, Assassin's Creed. Kyle, do you want to walk us through what the hell's going on there? Yeah, so as we're recording this, artists, digital artist Boss Logic working on a piece live. They're streaming their artwork live to reveal the next setting for Assassin's Creed. Um, and at the time of this recording, there's like a castle with some dudes fighting and there's a, a ship that looks uh, remarkably similar to a Viking ship. <laughs> and there's a silhouette of a character that might turn into a Viking at some point standing in the middle. Yeah. And the is, thing is, is like, where we're at right now. It's a, it's a very strange and fascinating reveal with that idea of, oh, Kotaku a while ago, Jason Schreier is like, ah, by the way, 2020 game, it's going to be Vikings. Bada bing, bada boom, Schreier it up. Uh, <laughs> Schreier out. I'll see you at Bloomberg. But it's such it's, a it's it, classic talk, call tag. It's, it's a fascinating twist on a reveal though i don't think i've seen a game officially revealed in this way before and it's such a slow burn and i don't know if it's directly resulting what's yeah. that yeah yeah i How think bob ross would have done it <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> big gamer bob ross but it's that weird uh, thing too of like you know you bring in gamers and assassin's creed fans with hype and they will just stare at this live stream then where you know they're giving away uh, twitch drops and stuff like that but at the same time you watch Boss Logic go through the process of creating basically a magazine cover uh, for Assassin's yeah, Creed. Like yeah, yeah, and you like learn a, to appreciate his skill a little bit. Like, oh, Photoshop, huh? He's really doing some <laughs> wild things to put that castle in the background together. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I do like it. It's funny because like as someone who like covers video games, I'm kind of like snapping my fingers. Like, can you just like tell me what this thing is? Yeah. But I yeah. like... I, I like it conceptually, and I think it is cool, and I think it is more interesting than just, like, a trailer drop. It does, it makes me think of, um, remember when Death Stranding had its, like, most, uh, a recent trailer? 
and there were like handprints all over the trailer. Oh and, yeah, like, as yeah. More people were tuning in. Like handprints disappeared. I remember at the Game Informer offices, there were people in the office who were like frustrated by it. Right. Like, they're like, I I just want to see the trailer, and I was like, I like this. It's weird. It's different. You know, like. Go for it! Like it, I, I, it was fun to watch it, like looping, and you could see like a little hint of like a motorcycle, and you're like, "Ooh, there's motorcycles in the game and stuff like that," you know? Okay, but where so I think you... it's cool. I'm into it. Let's see, Marcus. Maybe you watched this too. Do you remember when they had that live stream for Pokemon? Though maybe this is like the the most boring mm-hmm. end of the spectrum, where it's like, "Hey, mm-hmm. we have a fake camera set up in the forest in Galar." Do you remember that? Ah, uh, I don't. Okay, that's sort of. Oh yeah, and they 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 revealed like the Galarian ponyta. Yes, because it just happened to like run by at some point at like hour seventeen. Yeah, which was yeah, one of those like is... fun ideas, but it was just so slow. What's the yeah. website? The website that's like basically like a big Pokemon Wikipedia. Who? Therapy. Uh, yeah, the guy that runs that. I remember him just like losing his mind on Twitter, just because he's like, I just need the information i don't want to watch <laughs> a 17 hour stream to maybe see what the next pokemon yeah. and it, that's kind of where the chat is right now for the assassin's yeah. creed thing like i've been watching yeah. it and people are just like paint faster <laughs> well, like yeah. less detail well, it's, it's, it's crazy pretty much co- content complete it's like okay this clearly looks like vikings so like just tell us what it is instead of just recoloring this one little shield over and over no, but the colorization is the most important part of Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe you should have taken longer to really make that boat look like yeah. a Viking boat to make it interesting throughout. Really get a yeah, point from, across. From a marketing standpoint, it's definitely weird because the the biggest thing they can reveal is the thing that everybody already knew. Yeah, is yeah. that it's going to be you know in a Norse setting. Uh, I actually saw someone tweet about this, um, but apparently the chat has had a lot of messages that just are saying like no RPG. I guess. Right. So I, it, it's a lot of like old like. Assassin's Creed fans wanting it to shift away from, you know, what Origins and Odyssey did, which was, you know, basically turn it into Ubisoft's standard open world game, but, you know, with historical elements and some elements of stealth. Okay. Yeah. So if he starts painting numbers over the, the yeah. Warriors <laughs> fighting, people are going to freak out. <laughs> yeah, I oh, saw God, it. he's drawing an HP bar. No, oh, no. <laughs> I saw, like, the chat was definitely at war, because when I tuned in then, there were a lot of people saying, yes, RPG. In the chat. And then, um, mm-hmm. just for shits and giggles, somebody decided to spoil Last of Us Part 2 in the chat, so I saw that, so that was wow. fun. Oh, <laughs> was like, oh God. What if he spoiled man. Last of Us Part 2 in that drawing? That's how he signs <laughs> it. And at the end, it's a big spoiler. <laughs> and then he just ends, it cuts, like, he has the camera on his on his computer screen, and it turns to him, and he just flips the camera off, and that's the end of the stream. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted him to have more fun. Like, I wanted him, well, it's still the silhouette of the main character, just put, like, googly eyes on him or something, just mm-hmm. to really yeah. soak in there. But is yeah, this... you uh, can just undo it. Might as well yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a really fun idea, though, and I don't know if it's a direct result of the quarantine, but I love seeing studios and publishers trying to get creative for like, what? How can we reveal this game? What's the most hip modern way to do it? And I guess having some Assassin's Creed trivia and Assassin's Creed music playing underneath the stream, like it's a cool idea. It's basically uh, obviously it would be cooler if it was a Game Informer cover. We all agree on that. But it is such a fascinating idea of like, oh, how about instead of a magazine cover, the way we're revealing games now is let's just live stream the creation basically of a cover. And it's like, it, it's fascinating to watch uh, cool. the industry evolve that way. Uh, but yes, they also, I mean, you talk about Schreier revealing that it was the Viking setting, but then also remember in Division 2, that's where that whole thing kind of came from was in division two there's an easter egg with a viking holding the the apple and all that fun stuff but uh we'll keep our eye on that throughout the show and give you any updates on whether or not mr viking has a face and if there's a <laughs> mrs viking in the picture mm-hmm. anyway more belts now the belts are really starting to come in Ooh, the waist, so. all right that sounds great 
Multiple um, belts, huh? Oh, it's a Kingdom Hearts game. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, over the weekend, uh, the internet was rocked by The Last of Us Part Two spoilers uh, getting out there. And this isn't a matter of, ooh, a couple people have a couple tidbits. Seems like somebody, as far as I can understand, uh, uploaded gigantic sections of that game. Every key cutscene was up on YouTube since taken down. But the internet has a hold of it, and they're uh, using those spoilers as weapons. Great, my favorite kind of weapons. It's it's Uh. really a bummer. Yeah, so Neil Druckmann uh, from Naughty Dog, he got out there and he tweeted, heartbroken for the team, heartbroken for our fans. We're still incredibly excited to get the game into your hands, which is a nice little poem from him. Um, (laughs) It is just so sad to think about that team working so hard, crunching their asses off. uh, Mm. And, you know, they're pretty extreme over at Naughty Dog. We just talked about it not too long ago on the Mid-Max show about, uh, you know, they can be less than stellar at times with how intense they are, but they're a passionate, passionate studio. And just to see some asshat just upload the end of that game. And it seems like, I mean, Schreier was at least hinting at this in tweets and some people are saying that it is just a disgruntled employee. That all seems a little see, bit. I, I, huh. I interpreted Schreier's tweets like the opposite. Really? Like he was saying that there was, it wasn't that like, because that would just hurt everybody, you know, like, I don't know. But I don't think, I don't think that's thing. the case. It felt more like he was chastising the person who did it uh for leaking it because of that reason but i don't know i haven't seen whether or not it's confirmed that the reason that person leaked it was because he was yeah. disgruntled at like work conditions or mm-hmm. i mean it, it will never be confirmed like we'll never know for I sure so. but Is yeah confirmed actually i would like to confirm that it was me i, oh, I just oh. i just i'm a hacker so <laughs> what's that marcus I was going to say, like, has it been confirmed to be an actual employee there at least no and that's the frustrating thing is trying to find news stories about this with while also not trying to hit spoilers, um, avoiding yeah. the spoilers. Yeah. yeah, I've been uh, I've been practicing good social distancing with all that stuff. <laughs> Very smart. The uh, yeah, like I clicked on the Polygon article, and Polygon just like posted the spoilers in there. It's like okay, oh. also uh, the, uh, Last of Us Part Two spoil spoiled. Uh, here are some details. And I was like, what? And maybe they were dodging some of the bigger stuff, but I just saw that, like, oh, they're actually just saying some of this info, and I was so pissed. Like, why are you weaponizing oh. more? Mean <clears throat> people on the internet and giving them ammo to then throw at other people in the Twitch chat for the Assassin's Creed <laughs> review. It's so, just insane. Like, I've I've dodged it like successfully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, I'll continue to dodge. It. Do you feel like you've been spoiled at this point? Like with those two examples, the Assassin's Creed chat and the Polygon. Article? Well, the Polygon. I just started seeing some names and saw specifics. And I was like, oh. uh, but then yeah. in the Assassin's Creed chat, yeah, somebody said a sentence, I'd, and well, I was like, oh god. Damn it! Oh my god! Uh, I I'm sorry, man. I, I like I that sucks. You know what? <laughs> I really yeah. feel bad. It's a weird thing where I'm so I'm on high alert for Final Fantasy VII remake spoilers. Like I consider everything a spoiler. I consider opinions about the end of the game in the broadest sense to be in a, to be a spoiler. So I'm losing my mind on that front. Mm. But I think it's because also Last of Us Part One. I recorded I recorded our spoiler discussion at Game Informer before I had started the game, and so I had it all spoiled for me that way. So. Because part one was spoiled for me, I kind of feel like ah, it. I am not incredibly heartbroken if part two is spoiled. It would have been nice to go in fresh, but I don't see it as that extreme example like a Final Fantasy VII remake or something like that. Even mm. though I know it's weird for a remake to be worried about spoilers, but you know how it goes. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel a little bit soiled, and you know, it's that thing of like, well, the context around this is going to be interesting, more interesting than any sentence yeah. could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but definitely, people are losing their minds about it. Um, Marcus, are you a Night Dog fan? I'm a big Naughty Dog fan. Mm. It's one of, my, one of my favorite studios. I played pretty much 
all of their stuff except like probably my biggest gap with them is most of the Jack and Baxter games. Like I've only played the first one. Um, but other than that, I grew up a huge Crash Bandicoot like fanboy as a kid, and then you know love love uh, the Uncharted series, love The Last of Us. I'm, I thumbs up to Naughty Dog. When I see their name, I'm like, yeah, of course, right. yeah. I had a similar experience with you where I I love Crash Bandicoot so much; it's so important to me. And then somehow I just dodged Jack and Daxter. I played Jack and Daxter one mm-hmm. pretty late, I think, in like the PS2 life cycle, and that's about it. I don't know what the hell I was doing. Maybe it was like that era where I was thinking I was too cool to play a platform or something, and I was more focused on just Okagi Shadow King or some garbage on the early PS2 era. But... <laughs> Way cooler. I, 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 Way I cooler. We're about, we're about the same age, and I had a, a somewhat similar mindset. Also, Ratchet and Clank came out around the same time, and I went the Ratchet and Clank direction. Ooh, okay. Where I played all of those games, and that's one of my favorite series, and for some reason it was like, well, I can't play the other one. Yeah. I've already committed to this you know, cartoony <laughs> body count platformer. It was a skill tree, and you just chose one option. Can't go back the other way. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I can't t- tear my shirt off to reveal a, ra- a Jack and Baxter shirt underneath. So it's funny because I'm almost like you guys, where I got on board Naughty Dog with Jack Two. Really? Oh, That's okay. where you started. That's where I started. Yeah, I played Crash Two at a cousin's house extensively. You yeah, know? like had that experience. But as far as like sitting down with a game and absolutely falling in love with it, like head over heels, probably still on my personal top 10 list, Jack 2 was like my starting line. What do you think it is about Jack 2 that wound you? Um, this, I really genuinely like the story. And also, like, I it, basically it was, I love platformers, you know, big 3D Mario guy. And the pitch for Jack 2 was GTA Cross with a platformer. And, like, two missions into that, you're like, that's exactly what this is. This is a, a cool sci-fi city that I can steal cars and drive around in. And then the missions that I'm doing are platforming missions, and the platforming feels fantastic. So it just it just really worked for me. I've played that game multiple times. Do you think it would hold up okay? The city design is the thing that does not hold up today. It's, like, really confusing and not very interesting missions are still top-notch and still yeah. up really well hey kyle could you close any programs because uh your your audio is not exactly top-notch <laughs> it loves getting really? distorted yeah uh okay i <clears throat> i put together because i didn't finish jack and daxter one i didn't include it in this list but i, I put together a list of my ranking of naughty dog games uh, i don't know if you all want to critique this and then volunteer your own but personally my favorite naughty dog games are as following Number one, Crash Bandicoot 2. <laughs> Number two, Uncharted 4. Crash 1, The Last of Us. Crash 3, Warped. Uncharted 2, Uncharted Lost Legacy. Uncharted 3, Crash Team Racing, Jack X Combat Racing. And then probably Rings of Power, Away of the Warrior, all that stuff down there. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds perfect. What about Math Jam? Yeah. Are you going by like stuff that you think holds up still today? Like you would play Jack or Crash Two today? I'm going off of fun? the amount of love in my heart for these games. Okay. Yes. Uh, I guess is that nebulous criteria. But where are y'all at for ranking your favorite Naughty Dog games here? Do you want you want us to go down? Like we go yeah. around the horn? Go for it. Okay. Kyle. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I had three, but I've now added a few since you went all the way. And this is this will just kind of be the games that I know really well. You know, like I, yeah. mean, I don't know Crash very well. I've played a decent amount of Crash. I don't know if I've ever beaten a Crash game, so no Crash on my list. But like I said, I I still would put Jack Two at the top for me. Uh, just nostalgia, you know, including and all that. I just love that game. Uh, then I would put The Last of Us second, and then I would go Uncharted Four, Jack and Dexter One, mm. Uncharted Two, Jack Three, 
is I think where I would go. And then everything else kind of is floating around uncharted three and the crash bandicoots and Jack X combat racing and stuff are all kind of just swirling around at just that point. A big, wonderful kiddie pool at that point. Yeah. Uh, That's right. Yeah. I love uncharted four. I know there it was a PlayStation plus game. Well, it is right now still right in April. It if, is. If you yeah. get it quick yeah. and you can also pick up the, like the Nathan Drake collection for free. That's right. I mean, yeah. I know it's sold like gangbusters. Does it, do any of you feel like uncharted four is still underappreciated a little bit? I think that game is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there has been something of a turn in the last few years on it. People are like, eh. And in a negative it's, sense. It was pretty popular, like, in, mm. during its year. I remember we talked about it for, like, Game of the Year stuff back then, and I think a few outlets did as well. But, I, I yeah, that game's staying power hasn't really uh, matched what I kind of expected out of it yeah. after I finished yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, man. I feel like people were, were cooler on it just because, I mean... We talked about it as game of the year, but I think it feels like one that got dismissed pretty quickly. And I think the general sentiment of it was always just that, you know, yeah, of course it has amazing set pieces and everything keeps on, you know, getting bigger and better, but it can't match the precedence that people had in the minds of the first games because those those original games, nothing had ever done anything like it. And so it, it didn't matter that that everything was just getting better and more polished as it went along just because it didn't have that novelty of it. Right. But I, you know, on my list, yeah, what, I would say The Last of Us first is my is my favorite Naughty Dog game, but then I would go the order of the Uncharted's just 4, 3, 2, 1. Like they oh, just, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going 1, 2, 3, 4. And I was no, like, really? no, no, okay. they just they just kept on getting better and better. And I think that in addition to the set piece, the set piece moments and the action, and everything, just the storytelling kept on getting better and better. And I feel like a lot of know, people, even two to three, right? Yeah, like, that's the three twist. It has a couple of points where I, I don't, I gen, I like don't like, um, but two, I, I still think really holds up well. Yeah, I, I guess I can see like maybe swap some those of the two, two and three stuff, but yeah. I think but, three is probably their most like also ran title where you know, I, I think two is like a, a drastic increase from uh, like improvement from one and three just felt like we're taking the same template and then kind of telling another story with it. So it's probably like the least, uh, let's say, like revolutionary title mm-hmm. in that series. Yeah. None, of the, I, none of the big I, moments in that game just really stand out to me. I remember a house collapsing being kind of cool and like falling yeah. out of the airplane but like nothing that touches any of the stuff in uncharted 2 with like the train i like i mean i think like the, i like oh, the villain in three better yeah than i was gonna say two. three might have the best villain of the series honestly oh yeah, yeah the, and, the, and, the woman right yeah yeah, she, yeah and i like that part in the desert well uh, yeah but even like the boat filling with water i remember being an amazing set piece in three like that might stand out to yeah. me maybe it's because i was yeah. i played uncharted 2 pretty late and at that point i was like okay i know how beloved this is so i'm gonna go in with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about it but like i feel like three is also a, a huge underdog and a lot better than the popular wisdom yeah, but, but it, it is it is that thing of kyle talking about where like people remember that train so much be, and i think part of that i don't think there was anything less impressive about you know the boat sequence or anything like yeah. that but the train thing just stands out because there was nothing like it before that and every you know everything in uncharted 3 and uncharted 4 are coming in a post uncharted 2 world and i think that you lose some of that awe, and that's what that's what people remember the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also I also do remember Uncharted Two definitely has like its its weak points. Like I think the the tanker section in that game I don't think is super great. Uh, and some of the I think it I think all of those games end up being a little longer than they should be. Yeah, uh, and I think Uncharted mm-hmm. Two suffers a little bit more than the other ones for that. But uh, yeah, I think Two was like the one where it kind of all came together for that series. I don't think one is. I don't. I don't know that anyone's favorite Uncharted game is one, but 
especially since it was like a launch era. I think it was a year after, but it was, it was like, early. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like 2007, I think. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and it felt like, okay, I guess they're going to make a franchise out of this. We'll see where it goes, but it, it didn't feel like that. This is going to be naughty dogs, like bread and butter for the next several years. It definitely felt like a weird one off. Yeah. And, uh, just to satisfy any fans out there, I love Lost Legacy. Like, I feel like that game is also a little bit lost in the midst. I remember when it came out, this is so stupid how listening to a podcast can really color your opinion, but I guess you're listening to this, so thank you. But I remember listening to, like, Bombcast, and Brad Schumacher would be like, oh, Lost Legacy is so much better than Uncharted 4. And I was like, what? Like, I really like Lost Legacy, and I think, like, that slow evolution into more of an open design and driving that Jeep around, it's like, well, it's a little bit mixed on that. There are cool elements about being to explore and kind of connect these things in your own way. Uh, but the writing throughout it was solid, and it's cool that they also have an impressive train sequence in that one. But, like, yeah. just the core of the story yeah. was nowhere near the power of Uncharted 4 when Uncharted 4 is no. just a game about marriage, which yeah. might be the only Man, one they, ever made. When they announced that it was going to be a PlayStation Plus game, and I was like, oh, yeah, Uncharted 4, I really like that game. I went and watched the the YouTube, like, the, 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 the section of the game where Elena and uh, Nathan are reunited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of the best performance capture and acting in any video game period. Like yeah. the, the whole build up to that sequence and what everything that is happening in that scene is so good. I just I love like even the way it's so common in any media for like that scene to happen and the wife just being like I'm leaving. You know, this sucks. And there's a scene where she, where Nathan's like let me explain myself and she just looks him in the eyes and she's like, "Yeah, go ahead." Yeah, talk to me. What other game like, would happen? Oh, it's it's so amazing. Good. Is that the scene where she's um the thing that stood out of me is where she's kind of like fiddling with her wedding ring, kind of nervously? Yes. Mm, yeah. And I remember like, like picking up uh, on that and thinking that was such a great subtle touch because I I was like terrified, like oh my god, is she thinking? Yeah. Like, like that <laughs> sequence is scarier than like any monsters in any. <laughs> <game>. <laughs> yeah. That's what should be like, at the end oh of the trailer my. instead of a take, monster roaring. Yeah. Is take just that, your wife playing with her wedding ring? It's just it's just like. A husband lying to his wife's face. And it's just, yeah, like, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Like, perf- like the thing about Uncharted is like, which is like, uh, somewhat like the gameplay has always been okay. Like it's it's good shooting, but like performance capture is like they're just the kings of and well, just the acting, the performances they're able to get and translate into a video game are just mind blowing. Yes, and I agree, and especially Kyle being an animation or the thing that I still love about Naughty Dog, and they might be shifting further and further away from this, but at least like the last time I visited the studio, I've been there like three times. The last time I was there for Last Legacy, at least it was still the case of, I mean. Yes, motion capture. They're very famous for their mocap. But at the same time, all the faces in those games are hand animated because they still have like, oh, uh, you can't have Nolan North put on Nathan Drake's face. It's going to be weird and distorted. They're still so disconnected from how the actors look that they can't have that one-to-one representation that you'd expect. So just the idea of all that being done by hand, especially those powerful scenes in Uncharted 4, is just incredible animation work overall. It is. As someone that has done it themselves, it is a uh, it is very hard to do. So I'm consistently impressed. Like, how's that hand animated? Lie to your wife? Like, uh, yes, <laughs> lie to my wife okay. about the adventure I was going on. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, do you have a ranking, uh, Marcus? Um, I will say Uncharted Two, The Last of Us, Crash Bandicoot Warped, which is Crash Three, <laughs> um, Uncharted Lost. Oh God. I saw Uncharted 4, Uncharted Lost Legacy, Crash 2, and then, like, I'm not going to put any Jack and Daxter games. Uh, I guess Uncharted 3, and then I can't say which one's worse, but, like, or better, 
but like Uncharted One and Crash One kind of occupy a similar space of like they're okay games, but they're very they're the hardest to go back to of their respective series. Yes, um, yeah, I am fascinated by Crash Three being that high up the list. I love Crash Three, but it's such a weird, wonky, experimental short thing. Really, I don't know. I, I remember when it came out. I I loved it more than two. I think two is fantastic, but I think the uh, the time travel element as a kid I thought was super cool. Like, oh, you're going to all these different eras. This is awesome, and it was pretty much just more Crash Two with some weird stuff tossed in. Like, I've always just had a a greater affinity for warped yeah. because of that. What's yeah. uh yeah, I, I I love it too. I love it so much. And I always just think of like, okay, there's the flying mission, there's the riding on the Great Wall of China with the tiger. Like every level just feels like they were pushing their engine in a different direction. It almost feels like a yeah. mini game collection in a way, more than a traditional platformer. It's a weird structure for that thing. But do you have a favorite level in Crash Three just to really put you on the spot? Jeez, I trying to spend so long since I played that game. They yeah. mean the uh the Great Wall level is good. Like I've always been a fan of the uh, the like riding an animal thing. Yeah. Um. So like that, and also always being kind of a history nerd as a kid. It's like, oh, the Great Wall. I know what that is. And you're <laughs> on a tiger. That's great. Uh, oh, a cute so, T Rex. I remember you. Yeah. yeah history yeah. rules. Man, I saw you in Jurassic Park. Where you been? <laughs> um. So yeah, like honestly, like probably all of the uh, the animal riding stuff, just for lack of being able to pull out a distinct <laughs> level, because it's been like. Decades since I've played Crash 3, at least in its entirety. Yeah. I got it. I don't even know if the remaster, I finished playing through Crash 3. I should go back and do that. That could be a quarantine yeah. game, is to go back to that remaster of Crash 3, because I think it's so weird. Um, but here's something for you, uh, Jeff. Um, Ricky Winterborn writes in and says, Oh, Kyle said on the gaming ride home, he'd choose Ghost of Tsushima over Last of Us Part 2, and it kind of made me realize I kind of would make the same choice. I've played all the Naughty Dog games and really enjoyed them, but I feel like I know what to expect from Last of Us Part 2. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but have they gotten too good at their own formula? I think they need to shake it up and make a new game with a completely different approach. Kyle doesn't want to hear this question. He's, he's, he's walking away. <laughs> he's out of here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would choose Ghost of Tsushima as well, um, but, I, but for me, part mm. of that is still just kind of the narrative completedness of the original last of us yeah yeah you know where i i still feel like i don't need a sequel to that game and i i certainly do hope that they knock my socks off with it but i i probably the biggest thing that i would want from naughty dog 2 is for them to just do something completely different at this point and Mm -hmm. and you know like experiment with some more systems heavy Mm gameplay ideas as opposed to just that that kind of linear narrative driven kind of gameplay that yeah. they're already just so good at and that that kind of does tie into the rest of this conversation of i i think we all have that kind of getting off place with naughty dog where where it's like this is this is peak of what i want from this kind of game and this is the one that's going to be stuck in my mind as the best yeah. you know and and yeah. from there you're you just it doesn't have the novelty, even even if the formula keeps getting better. It's it's just so well established in our minds that it doesn't it doesn't hit you as hard. Yeah, yeah I so- definitely think that they're like one of those developers who are basically iterating on the thing that they that everyone kind of knows them for, which is like these very tightly scripted, very uh, linear, like sh- kind of shooter platformer. Kind of, well, like you do a lot of climbing, not so much like platforming, but. Um, these very like we're going to show you something cool and it, and we're kind of aiming to make this like an interactive movie in, in a lot of ways um but yeah i would definitely like to see what their 
you know, what their designers are like most excited to do because it definitely feels like w when someone kind of says like, uh, hey, this game's maybe a little linear, they'll bring up Naughty Dog is like the example of like, where I, where I think it used to be Call of Duty that was like, oh, yeah, if your game is like a bunch of like corridors, like you invoke Call of Duty to tell you to, to say like, it's kind of like this, so it's bad. I think a lot of in like the latter years as, as that formula has aged, I think a lot of people have taken to Naughty Dog as like they are the premier kind of linear game. You kind of go from point A to point B designer and like the set pieces they like they're able to pull off within that framework are really cool. But I think as those games wear on, I think it, it, it becomes less and less exciting because you kind of know the bounds of those games. But even um, if they get an embrace in The Last of Us Part Two, the direction they seem to be going, as they put it, wide linear is the Naughty Dog term mm -hmm. for this formula. I still think as amazing those games are, it's weird when a studio gets in a spot where you can just say, oh, Naughty Dog game. And you know, like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing some jumping and uh, I'm going to be crying and the graphics are going to be amazing. Got it. You yeah. Know? So, uh, and so like, I, I think um, for, I, I still think The Last of Us is probably my favorite on a uh, Naughty Dog game. Um, and then probably Uncharted 4 and then Crash 3. Uh, but I, I think that for the most part, it, it does feel like, yeah, they're 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 gonna do what they're gonna do. But I would love them to to pull off like a a, a Horizon Zero Dawn esque, yes. like maybe maybe not exactly like an open world game, just because I know that that genre is really saturated. But just to completely shift gears, do something very yeah. different, do something cool that isn't you know maybe like a hero based shooter or something. But and uh, I, you never know if it's just internet speculation and how much the internet wants this. But like I feel like things have been bubbling for so long about like oh, I think they're making a sci fi game. I think they're making a sci fi game. And if they actually end up do making a new IP and it is sci fi, I think that'd be fantastic. And then just use it as an opportunity to, like Jeff said, focus more on systems. Just mm -hmm. it's it'd be so bizarre for them to completely divorce themselves from storytelling. But maybe just a little bit on the backseat. I mean, I'd like to see. Uh, Naughty Dog's just straight survival game, you know, just take some of the lessons they learned from the multiplayer uh, portions of games throughout the years, and maybe eventually they'll release that for Last of Us Part Two, and they can blow it out in a bigger way when yeah. multiplayer eventually comes around. I mean, around. They, could even, they could even go the opposite direction and go less for like, hey, we're going to make a systems-heavy game that has all this emphasis, and maybe shift like, hey, we have someone like Neil Druckmann, we have all this storytelling experience, let's find like you know, a, a novel way to present our stories to that isn't just like, okay, you do a segment, you do some shooting, you watch a cutscene, you do some shooting, you do some climbing, and then you watch a cutscene, maybe find like a, uh, try to like break up, up their own formula and try to deliver like, hey, here's like a, you know, like a telling lies, her story, some, some sort of like novel technique for to tell their, their stories, which they're really good at telling. Right. Or even like, you know, visiting that studio, um, they obviously love uh, Timiko's games. And I remember they talked about Oh, is it Tenzin? Is that the guy's name in Uncharted 2 uh, in the mountain yeah. section? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but they talked about how inspiring or how inspired they were by Eco for that section where it's like, okay, here's a section where Nathan Drake cannot communicate with this person. You just have to get the story beats of who this other character is helping you out through the gameplay itself. I think that'd be a really interesting challenge to blow that out even further. Okay, yeah. let's I see what Tenzin should do. get his own name. What's that? Tenzin should just get his own game. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Yak can be there. All the greatest hits from that section. Um, but like to see them being challenged without even using dialogue, I think is a really fun idea. And I think those designers are so smart over there, they could pull something else off. But more than anything, I want the Naughty Dog small game jam package where it's just, here's 10 games uh, that we spent two years making. We divided our huge team into a bunch of smaller teams it's not as polished. It's just some weird experiments. I just want to see that studio be experimental again in an exciting yeah. way. It is a weird expectation because I think, you know, they, they've kind of 
you know, not just like design wise, but as like a studio, they've kind of pigeoned them whole uh, pigeonholed themselves as like the premier, like very prestige games, very yeah. high budget, very good production values. So I think that they would look at something like, hey, hey, let's just make a bunch of game jam games and maybe set expectations differently. I think people would be like, well, this isn't what I've come to expect from a Naughty Dog game. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, but, there's but, no way they'd ever right. do it. Yeah. But. I, w- I would love for them to do that. But, you know, even something like, hey, let's maybe focus our scale down and you know, try to alleviate, you know, some of the production issues that we've had in the past with crunch and stuff, um, I think would be kind of like a cool reset. Because I think um, they, I don't think you'd talk to many Naughty Dog employees who would say that what they do is easy, right? So it, it feels, I, I it does feel still like they're challenging themselves, oh, yeah. but, you know, maybe find a different way to challenge themselves um, beyond like, hey, let's do what we've done, but let's, you know, make it more, add more production values, make it bigger, make it better uh, kind of thing. But at the same time, when Nas was part two, comes out and uh, it's probably be Metacritic of 95 uh, and sell a gazillion copies. Who are we to say, make different games? Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're good. I think it's that um, I think they've established themselves as a studio that could probably get away with doing whatever they want at this point, which uh, right. a lot of studios don't have that luxury of. Like, and they're like, they built up so much goodwill where you see like that, that paw logo and you're like, I don't care what you could put it on a black box. I'm probably going to play it. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's kind of like you guys totally could do something and get away with it so like do something crazy like i don't know and i mean and and even now they're in a pretty uh interesting position because it feels like uncharted 4 felt like a send-off for that series uh Mm. and then last of us part two you know depending on what what ends up happening like could be like the hey we're we are trying to add the other side to this story and maybe make this like two bits that are like um that tell one coherent story that we don't necessarily need to keep building on uh, so maybe like after this, uh, they can they can split off and do something else because I think Sony's like at a, as a publisher, I think is amenable to that. You know, you see ghost something like Ghost of Tsushima, you see Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, Sony definitely feels like a company that is willing to tell to let studios say like, hey, we're going to pivot to something else. Yeah, I mean, Sony Santa Monica tried it uh, with their sci-fi game, which then uh, mm. did not exactly get off the ground, which is a real bummer. But uh, Jeremy Clark uh, wrote in just to open up some questions earlier, uh, and he's a huge Jack and Daxter fan. Uh, and he says, why do you think the industry has moved away from modern AAA platformers? What if devs like Naughty Dog started making them again? I mean, they tried rebooting Jack and Daxter. That's how the Last of Us team started, was rebooting Jack and Daxter. And uh, the art was terrifying. And they realized that it just wasn't like talking to Neil and Bruce there for the Game Informer cover story for Last of Us. That was a takeaway. It's like, yeah, we started on that path and realized like we're not that passionate about it. We're excited about Zombie stories. You know, we're excited about telling some things with some more uh, weight to it than a, a good-looking platformer. Um, but it would be it'd be a fascinating alternate universe if that team continued and actually finished off that Jack and Daxter reboot for late PS3. Uh, but why is it not as popular? Do you think? I mean, they just don't sell as well as the the easy answer. Yeah. Yeah. How did but... stuff? How did something like ukulele sell? Like, I don't, they, I don't they, made a, they made a they made a uh, 2D. Yeah, they had a good sequel. Yeah, I mean, there's something. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think kind of coming back Hat in Time and like stuff and Mario super Odyssey. Like, lucky it's kinda tale. Back yeah, I also so, think that yeah. it's this weird genre because I think it was popular in the days where you know games were kind of sold more to kids than adults. Where you know, let's do a bunch of mascots platformers. This is very colorful, very bright, and I don't think that the idea of like let's take a lot of very abstract platforms that don't really have any like that in, in the real world don't really exist right that doesn't really mesh well with the 
what people want out of like high budget games these days where it's like mm -hmm. very realistic very gritty so it's hard like if nathan drake ever got a double jump and was jumping between like different colored platforms that wouldn't really work so it's not something that a lot of studios can pull off and i think really the only company that does it is the one that's associated with more childlike games like mario right yeah um so i think it's, it's just a matter of like that's not what people are looking for at this point when it comes to like big budget production video games and like the, the examples that Kyle mentioned are smaller uh, studios trying to bring back what they played as kids. Yeah. Uh, so as a response, perhaps uh, to the last of us part two leaks, um, PlayStation got out there and said, Hey, official release date. We got it now for last of us part two is actually coming out June 19th. And then also Ghost of Tsushima is going to come out July 17th. Um, Jake Zielsdorf wrote in, he says, Hey, with the news of the new Last of Us Part 2 and Ghost of Tsushima release dates, do you think the games are too close together on the calendar? Considering Naughty Dog has said Last of Us Part 2 is the biggest game they've ever made, are you worried you, you won't be able to finish Last of Us Part 2 before Ghost of Tsushima comes out? They're, they're a month, right? Yeah, yeah, roughly. Yeah, that, that feels good. I feel like less than two weeks is a problem, but like two to three week gap. I think is when you start getting a decent territory of separation. Yeah. Know? It's going to feel I'm... pretty close, but at the same time, maybe they didn't have a choice because they want to leave themselves a runway for promoting PS5 stuff. And it's like, if we mm. give them more space, then Ghost of Tsushima is going to conflict with that. Yeah. And I, I would feel more worried about it if it was Ghost of Tsushima, Tsushima first than uh, Uncharted, because I just expect goes to Tsushima to be a much larger game, you know? Yeah. If Where, um e even even if Last of Us 2 is is the biggest game that they've made, you know, what are you looking at? 20 hours? Maybe, maybe 25? More, more than that? Yeah, who knows. Yeah, probably. I, yeah. But but I I don't expect it to be the kind of world where I get lost in doing kind of side content and those kind of things that you know, like a like a Red Dead that takes me three years uh-huh correct <laughs> anyways yeah, i actually had the opposite reaction where i felt like it felt like ghost of shishima would be better coming first just because it's like a new ip mm. so it's like it's coming out in a time where like game releases aren't really coming or we don't know what's going on because of what's going on in the world so like to be like hey we got our cool samurai game here that you might not know anything about They're like oh i'll play this if for no other reason then it looks cool and i've got nothing else to play <laughs> and then uh, yeah i'm going to buy the last of us no matter what like if you know you're going to buy that game Whereas if, like, Last of Us comes out, you're like, oh, I'm playing all this. And it's like, hey, look at our samurai game you never heard of, maybe. It's like, oh, I'm still playing this right. Last of Us thing. So I, I was almost yeah. like, I, I kind of wish they just stuck to what Tsushima uh, was set to and maybe set yeah. Last of Us later. Mm, that'd be interesting to the flip, yeah. I'd be curious to see what those conversations were like via email of like, look, Oof. we have to figure out the schedule. And I, you know, I would be, I would love to see what the the sort of, like, emails, email chain for that was yeah. like, well, all right. Uh, Insomniac, you're gonna have to, or not Insomniac, uh, Sucker Punch, you're gonna have to hold off a little bit, and then, well, what if we did this, or whatever yeah. negotiations happen? Yeah, Herman. I Hulst think the main thing was when the PS, when is the PS5 coming out, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah I holiday, mean, they still right, say it's right. coming out holiday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but Herman Hulse, if you're listening, please send us those emails. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, Gears Tactics, Serial Vasquez. Yeah, you've played a little bit of it. Um, I yeah, about three. I think I've had like three missions. Okay, right. so very early impressions. Um, but the yeah. weird thing, even before we get into impressions, I somehow missed this entirely that it's not released on Xbox One yet. It's PC exclusive yeah. right now. With it's coming to Xbox One in the future, but mm -hmm. they don't have a release date for it yet, which is mind-boggling to me. But um, how is it, Serial? 
Uh, I, I, I'm liking it so far. It, it feels like um, what I wanted out of like a, a different take on the XCOM series. Hmm. So this feels like if Dark Souls is XCOM, then this feels like uh, Star Wars Jedi, where they're kind of making a lot of the, the harsher aspects of that game a little bit more palatable. So it's closer to Rabbids on the Rabbids uh, to XCOM scale. <laughs> That's that, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. it's, it, it's one step towards Rabbids, let's say. Okay. Uh, Funny. And I, it's weird how much just an extra action per turn kind of really gets me into that game. Interesting. Uh, so you basically have three action points per character, um, and you have like a set of number, uh, like a set number of different abilities, which all map to like. Um, hey, if you want to throw the frag grenade, that's one point. If you want to uh, reload, that's another point. And you have like a set number of ammo. Uh, you can also do things like um, you can switch. You have different weapons you can switch between. And like the pistol has a disabling shot, which um, can stop people uh, from, which can interrupt an overwatch if you're able to shoot them outside of that range. Um, but even like, I think it, it alleviates one of my biggest issues with like stuff like XCOM, where you're kind of relying on a lot of best rolls to go your way to do really well. Um, so if just an additional dice roll, like, okay, I have a, like a 70% chance to hit this guy, but I have two shots. So if either of one of those goes through, I'm good. Uh, versus like, well, I missed the shot, so I'm going to have to wait another turn to uh, beat this guy. Or I can invest three of my soldiers into this one guy and hope that one of them kills them. Uh, and I think that that to me is like alleviate so much of my frustration with, with some of the XCOM stuff. Yeah. Um, it was funny to, um, see the way they're marketing this. Like I saw on Steam, they had a big splash page and a big quote from a review that just said, quote, a shockingly good strategy game. <laughs> it's like they, <laughs> they know the expectations. They know that it's like, ah, gears, I don't know. But I like even like Matt Miller, Game Informer, he gave it an 8.5. He seemed to really enjoy it. And it's like the consensus is like, no, actually, strategically, it's super good. Like it's super solid as a tactics game here. Yeah, even, even with it, uh, I think the first couple missions have you with uh, two people. And even then, it was it. It took me a while to get through those missions, just because you have so many options at your disposal for what kinds of things you can do. Uh, and there, I, I think my biggest surprise is both how well it, fe- how much it feels like a gears game. You know, like one of the mechanics is, hey, there's an emergence hole. If you don't close it, there's gonna be con- there's gonna continue to be reinforcements. So you need to mm. use one of your action points to throw a grenade in an emergence hole and and basically plug it. Uh, and there are things like, hey, you get into cover. Obviously, um, there are things like, you know, different sight lines and, and getting behind someone, you know, if you, if you can get around them and like the different weapons like shotguns have, you know, much shorter ranges, things like that. Um, so it definitely feels like a Gears game. And even like between missions, um, I expected like storyboarded, like the what XCOM uh, Chimera Squad did, where it's like, here's like a, a, here's a picture that someone drew and like dialogue at the bottom. But these are like fully voiced, fully animated cutscenes between missions that feel like, if this was a cutscene in Gears Five, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference, right? Like, well, besides the fact that they're different characters, right? Uh, yeah, it's really I mean, impressive to see Microsoft put this much money not only behind a PC first game, but then also a tactics game. And you know, I thought Halo Wars Two releasing, Halo Wars One releasing was a miracle. Halo Wars Two releasing was amazing, and then that they're doing it again with Gears. It's like, hey, good for them. They're really, they're really backing some interesting choices here. What do you, yeah. do? You know, I mean, I'm not like a big Gears. Uh, lore guy or anything, but like, are, is Marcus Phoenix in the game? Is it like no? Is it, okay, so it's, it's like a it's separate separate from the Gears One. Yeah, it's okay. a it's it's a kind of a similar setup where it's this guy with like like a, a past he doesn't want to talk about, and he gets conscripted to do a bunch of missions. 
Uh, he uh, is buddied up with like some guy who looks like Ramba Rawl from the original Mobile Suit Gundam. So I painted him blue and I painted my main guy teal. Smart. Just so they can stand out um, and oh, look so that's very why nice. You like the game. Yeah, yeah, because I can paint everybody <laughs> like Gundams. It's basically my Gunpla game. Um, <laughs> and there are, I've started to get into the kind of the metagame stuff where you're recruiting people uh, and you're customizing them so that you can have like, hey, this site gives you the perk of like, you're, you have uh, an extra 10% accuracy while you're in Overwatch. Um, and so like that stuff is getting interesting and just having a squad of four people, like I think one of my missions ended up taking like 45 minutes. Um, but there are some really cool things like you'll, they'll have a thing where, Hey, uh, we're going to spawn like six of those, uh, what are those guys, those little guys, the melee guys from, from here's those kind of like smaller enemies that are oh, like, like the grunty big... jumpy guys. Yeah. So you'll, you'll get like a wave of those and, um, you'll, you'll be like, okay, so I'm just going to set like three guys to overwatch in this one choke point. And when they move, it's just going to be this thing where, like, they're just coming in through this choke point, and my guys are just mowing them down. But, you know, meanwhile, there's another grunt that's kind of flanking us, and so I have to have someone else there uh, to make to take care of them. And, like, the, the way those scenes turn out, uh, play out, feels very much like a Gears game in slow motion. Uh, and it's like, and the way that meshes with, like, it's actually an interesting, like, tactics game. Where you're like, okay, I've run out of ammo on my Lancer, but I could switch to the pistol, which won't do as much damage, but it's more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are uh, like some legitimate, like cool strategic decisions so far. I've heard some things about how long the game goes for. I heard the estimates between like 25 and 40 hours. People say it's a bit long, kind of stretches out, repeats yeah. things. Yeah. And I can even now I can maybe definitely see that, despite like I'm enjoying it a lot. But I can definitely see if this goes on if they don't introduce enough like interesting set pieces and mechanics. Uh, I can definitely see it getting a little long-winded. Yeah. Do you play as like four, like four fully fleshed out characters? Because does that mean there's no permadeath or? Uh, so I I don't think, the, so I think so far I've had objectives like, hey, Gabe and uh, I don't remember what the other guy's name must survive. So I think though I think you have at least two characters that have to stay alive throughout the rest of it. But I've already recruited two people that I don't think are like main characters. Uh, so okay. I think you you will eventually be getting like some procedural generated stuff. But I think because they focus so much on like the specific story. I don't think it'll be a lot. You won't see like the kind of emergent star- uh, storytelling that comes from XCOM of like, well, here's how my scenario went. I think this mm-hmm. will be a lot more of like, well, here's here's some interesting tricks I managed to pull during the campaign, but like the story's not going to go any differently, you know? Gotcha. Okay. Hey, uh, Streets of Rage 4 <laughs> is out, uh, I believe yeah. on Friday. Um has everybody been playing it? Where's everybody at? I'm on the fifth stage. Okay. I beat the first major boss, the electric snake lady. Oh, that sounds good. I did, I did as well. Sir, you've been playing it too? Yeah, I finished it. Great. Uh, oh, that's very impressive. Well, it's, not, it's not very long. It's like three hours. Okay. Marcus, you're saying that you're a huge Streets of Rage fan? Yeah, I'm a huge Streets of Rage fan, specifically Streets of Rage 2, which is one of my favorite games ever in general. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, just to go back in time a little bit, what is it about Streets of Rage 2 that uh, hooked you? Um, a lot of it's just time and place. Like, I have a younger brother, and um, he's pretty close in age to me, and we had a Genesis when I was a kid, and that was kind of our go-to co-op game. Like, we played a ton of Streets of Rage 2, probably too much Streets of Rage 2. And so I just kind of have an, an attachment to that. Like, I, whenever I think about the game, I just kind of go back to, like, man, it's just the fun of having, you know, couch co-op. And, um... And I mean, it helps that the game itself is great. Like, I think it, it plays well. It has one of my favorite just game soundtracks yeah. in general. Like, it's one of the soundtracks I'll just put on and listen to. 
And uh, I think it's just, you know, it's just a very well-designed beat-em-up. Yeah. So, and then Street yeah. Rage 4, uh, new developer. This is a bizarre thing where it's technically the team behind Wonder Boy. Remember that from a couple uh, years ago. And so it's that .emu as the publisher and then Lizard Cube, Guard Crush Games, which has developed this. If you've never seen footage of uh, Streets of Rage 4, you should look at a trailer for it, at least, if you're listening to the audio version of this. You should go check this thing out, because it looks absurd. But Marcus, I'm curious, uh, what do you think of Streets of Rage 4 so far? I love it so far. My my biggest fear with this game was um, I, I thought this would, I was afraid this was going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog 4 situation, mm. where when uh, Sonic 4 came out, I, I love the old school Sonic games. Again, having a Genesis, I grew up with the Genesis Sonic games. And when Sonic 4 was announced, I was like, oh my god, they're finally going back to to what made Sonic work after all the crappy 3D games. You're going to just do a 2D game, and it's going to be great, and it's just going to have nicer graphics. This is going to be the best thing ever. And then buying that game and playing it, and just everything just felt off yeah. about it. Like, no, the jumping doesn't feel right, because I've played, especially Sonic 2, just hundreds of times. Like, this, no, this just feels wrong. Like, not bad, necessarily, just wrong. So I was like, oh, is Streets of Rage 2 going, or 4? Like, is this going to feel the same? Because I've played a lot of 2, and the moment I started, you know, within the first five minutes, I was like, no, this this just feels like Streets of Rage. Like, the fact that I didn't have to think about it was already, like, a good sign. But, like, this just feels a little bit better, like, a lot tighter, uh, smoother. Obviously, it looks a lot better. So I immediately just, it, it, it created that feeling of kind of, like, comfort food. Yeah. Like, oh, man, it like, feels like Saturday morning, you know, got a bowl of cereal, sitting down with the Genesis, and I'm just going to go beat up some dudes in the street and listen to some really good music. Can you play online <laughs> with your brother? Um, yeah, I don't think he has Steam. He's not the most, like, he's not a huge gamer anymore. Okay. I kind of, like, I took that, I absorbed that from his personality. Mm. Um, <laughs> added it to my own. Perfect. Um, but, yeah, I was thinking about hitting him up about this. But, hey, let me teach you how to install Steam real quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what does everybody else think? I think it looks amazing. Like, I, I don't yes. think we can compliment the animation enough. Like, it's incredible. Like, I'm not a big fan of the genre in general. Sure. But, like, mm -hmm. it's it's... It, it, just playing it for a few minutes it's just like oh this looks so good it's just incredible i'm kind of with you cal where i'm not like i i was super nostalgic for a lot of like the early beat-em-ups like teenage mutant ninja turtles and simpsons and stuff but i think a lot of that was because they were four-player games and you could play them with four people you just like your um, friends more than you like the games exactly uh but like there's a I, I, I like a lot of the stuff around the like I think it looks great. I think the soundtrack is fantastic, which I'll talk about more in a second. But like I, I, I am still kind of struggling with like the core gameplay because it is like a beat 'em up and I, I don't necessarily think that it's poorly made. I just think that uh there's the fact that it is a beat 'em up is maybe the biggest impediment that I have to playing it. Uh mm -hmm. just because like there's just simple stuff like lining up your attacks with, with people on the same plane. Like there's a lot of um like there's a lot of enemy variety you're still you know fighting different colored versions of the same enemies later on but um a lot of the enemies do get you to think about where you are relative to them a lot of them have like kind of tricks that they pull that you have to play around and i think that stuff is interesting and there's some actual like in uh resource management um so you have the these special attacks that you know drain your health but you can get it back if you hit people um so a lot of the stuff around the edges of this game i think is really good um but i think i i still kind of struggle with like okay i need to i i hit this person my fist is literally going over their head but i'm not connecting and they just the second i do that they're immediately able to attack me so it's just a lot of like the clunkiness of the beat em up to me in general is maybe like the biggest issue that i have with this game but you know like yeah. every like 
it, the way your score actually factors into the game is, I think, really cool. So there's this combo system where you can, you know, as you build up a combo system, or as a combo, you get more points, and at every few points, you get a life. So building up an actual, an actual like, good combo it will benefit you because a lot of those bosses are pretty tough. Um, and, like, yeah, I, I actually did a little bit of research on the soundtrack, which is maybe my favorite part of the game. Uh, and it, it's mostly composed by Olivier uh, de Rivière, um, who did, like, some AAA stuff. He's done some Remember. He's, he did, like, Remember Me. He's doing Dying Light 2. Um, he did, like, Plague Tale Innocence in Greedfall. But also just there's this kind of, like, surprising murderer's role of, like, 16-bit composers as well. Yeah. Uh, like, Yuzo Koshiro, who did, like, the Y series, Space Harrier, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Streets of Rage 2. Yeah. Uh, Motohiro Kawashima, who did Streets of Rage 2 and 3. The Yoko Shimomura, who did Street Fighter 2, Final Fight, Super Mario RPG. Uh, like, Keiji Yamagishi, who did Ninja Gaiden. Wait, so uh, all these people worked on Streets of Rage 4? I think that contributed stuff. Like the, the, the yeah. I was doing a little yeah. bit of oh. research into it as well. It seems like there was a lot of debate. I remember Giant Bomb in particular, like being obsessed with whether or not they're going to get that original composer back for Streets of Rage Four. Uh, and yeah. it seems like they got a new composer, and then at some point, uh, the old composers saw a demo of the game and got to play it. And was like, okay, this seems like it's good enough, and people are bugging me online all the time about it. So I'll contribute uh, a track or two here, which is nice. Yeah, I, th awesome. I think a lot of the contributions were like boss themes, and then mm. I think uh, Olivier did like a lot of the the overall composition. But I think I think the soundtrack is really solid. It's one of those it's soundtracks where I'm very interested in seeing it pop up on like Spotify or like uh, separately, so I can listen to it, uh, you know, outside of the game. Yeah, because I think that that is my favorite part of the game so far, which feels like. Um, it feels true because I think a lot of people have a lot of reverence for the Streets of Rage 2 soundtrack, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's an amazing soundtrack. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, Jeff, are you having a good time with it or does it just feel like a good-looking brawler, but it's a brawler? Yeah, it it looks great and the controls are very tight. I wish I was younger and had a bunch of friends over on my couch to play with. <laughs> it's one of those. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Like, now we're not allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird time <laughs> for this, but there is an online multiplayer in there, right? Yeah. Which is super cool. Okay. That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mark, is, is it everything you're hoping for as a big fan of the series? Pretty much. I didn't, honestly, like I kept forgetting this game was happening. It would go through periods of kind of silence for a while. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. They are making another one of these. And I was like, like I said, like I was like, all right, you don't really have to do much. Just make sure this plays close to identical to the, the Genesis games, but you know, a little bit better, but don't go too overboard with it. And I think the stuff that they've added in terms of like expanding the con the combo system, because it's almost akin to like a, um, to like a light fighting game, the way combos can string together. And since I've only been playing by myself, I think it makes it a brawler that's fun to play alone, because that's the worst thing about any brawler is playing by yourself. Oh, yeah. And I've had a lot more fun playing this by myself just because I've been trying to like figure out, like, okay, how can I string this attack into this attack? I can knock this guy in the air and see how long I can juggle him. Maybe combine the special moves, because they, they give you a lot to work with. So that has made it a lot more of an engaging experience. And I want to see how playing with, like, because you can play up to four people locally, which is uh, new for Streets of Rage. Before it was only two players. Um, there were only two players online, which I think is weird. Um, huh. And, that's bizarre. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I, I want to see how that, how just being able to, like, maybe knock people back and forth with other people works out probably well. But I, I love the, um, like, the amount of crowd control that the, the game gives you compared to the old games yeah. and being able to, to backhand people that are behind yeah. you. It was very easy to get swamped in the old mm -hmm. games by people, especially later in the game, and it gets harder. Now it's like, okay, like punching this guy, two guys come behind me, backhand, they go flying across the screen. 
and that's really satisfying. They chain together really well. Yeah. Uh, so, like, like right now, like I, you know, I didn't really need this to be like this, you know, the greatest game ever made necessarily. It's like just give me a good, solid, like if you release Streets of Rage today, this is pretty much what I would expect it to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I'm, like I'm just like, yeah, this is great. This just okay. feels like just a fun thing to get through in an afternoon, and I'm, you know, I, I could, but I definitely understand the criticisms of like you guys of like the kind of like hangups of beat 'em ups that have always been there. Like it's, you know, like being missing. It's, it's more on the genre than the game, right? So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it also didn't help that I played as Cherry. Like that was the first character that I played as, and she has a dash, and I was like, oh, cool. They've actually like updated this, and, and it's a lot faster. And then every, no, no, none of the other characters have a dash. Like they, none of them run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it definitely made all the other characters I played feel very slow by comparison. Yeah, um, and she and she's pretty much occupying the role that Skate had in Streets of Rage 2. Like, he was, like, the fast character. She even has the same, like, grapple move where she swings on your shoulders and punches you. It's exactly right. what Skate did. So I was like, oh, like, actually, she's my favorite character right now because of that. Because she's, um, like, an old-fashioned yeah, so, Skate. I did a satisfying thing where I picked up a crowbar, and I threw it at an enemy, and it bounced off of them. And I caught it in the air. Oh, that's so great! Mm. Yeah, and it, yeah. I got it. There's like a, a Steam trophy that was like the birth of cool or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, like, as a fan, is that like a mechanic that was in past games? Is that was that like a, a signature thing in other street streets of rages games? Streets of I don't, rage games. I I can't speak as much. I've only I played one and three like years after. I never owned them as a kid, so I played them okay. years later. And I'm not even a, a huge fan of three personally. Um. So I can't speak. I know two. You really couldn't do it. If you could, it was really hard to do. Like if this game makes it very easy. Like I've done it a few times. Oh like, yeah, you do it by accident. And you're like, yeah. That oh, that's great. awesome. Yeah, and then we start doing intense. Like I've thrown pipes across the screen and then dash and caught it and then just hit a guy, and it just feels really smooth to pull off and easy. Yeah, that's all um, right. That's all. Yeah. Right. So I, if it wasn't new, then they've definitely like honed it and perfected it and made it. You know. Do you yeah. think? Um, obviously, the decline of arcades hurt brawlers overall. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it weird to? think that just the stylish action genre has filled that gap entirely do you see, see one as a successor to the other even though it's not a direct comparison i wouldn't say stylish action but i've always thought that um kind of dungeon crawlers like diablo have kind of taken over that mantle oh interesting like, kind of starting because for me like growing up with those games and then they went away for a while after the playstation one era and then ps2 they were pretty much dead Oh, the and bouncer was, kept oh, him around for a little yeah, while. Yeah, the bouncer. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, the bouncer. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, the when the first X-Men Legends game came out, I remember like freaking out because like seeing trailers, like, oh, it's it's kind of like a new one of those. Like you just pick four players and you just go around and beat the crap out of stuff. Like yeah. that's great. Yeah. And like I fell in love with those two X-Men Legends games, and then eventually the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games and stuff like Diablo three. And I feel like those in Path of Exile now, like those games, kind of a like have taken the the mantle of the beat 'em up, even though they like beat 'em ups had that renaissance the last generation with stuff like Castle Crashers and Scott Pilgrim and like you know the the Turtles in Time remake and a bunch of other stuff. And like I thought at the time, like oh they're back for good because everyone's doing it again. And then with this generation, they've died again. So it's it's been weird how kind of up and down that well, they genre. They release Castle Crashers for every you know few months and everyone's mm. happy. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I didn't think uh, really Scott Pilgrim too, but wait, no. No, just, no, just get the soundtrack yeah. out there. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, you're just make good. sure you don't delete it from your PS3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, like I personally, I just kind of look at like dungeon crawlers as kind of like the yeah, that's interesting. Spiritual successor to those. Yeah, I guess never thought about that, but yeah, you're totally right. It is that weird fusion, especially with Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Like, yeah, I guess it's just action RPG now. Taking it's just like, it's the game that's easy to get all your friends to play with you when they're yeah. all coming over. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I was trying to think of my favorite brawlers of all time. And it's like, well. Sunset Riders doesn't count because you're not punching, but effectively it, it's it's damn close. And like playing a lot of arcade games over the last couple of years, it is definitely the genre that has aged the worst. Like even some of the greatest brawlers of all time. I love The Simpsons, but I'm saying going mm. back and playing The Simpsons, like it can be a dry time. It is a <laughs> lot of banging on the same button over and over and over again with these games. But uh, yeah, we at Game Informer we had uh, I think it was Hayden Dalton came by to he was talking about Darksiders 2 and yeah, he did director. an episode of replay where we played his Spider-Man beat em up that he worked on on the Super Nintendo Ooh. and he had and he said something during that video that is always stuck in my head where he's like yeah this is a genre where you punch the air a lot and wait for enemies to walk into your fist <laughs> yeah from <laughs> like, I mean, a guy who has worked on some of these like that makes yeah. a lot of sense I so. mean and, and to its credit I think Streets of Rage sort of avoids that in that you the mashing is definitely like a thing like you have a three hit combo that you can just mash out whenever you want but you know like the combo system I think does a good job of like making you think about what your next attack will, will be it's not super intricate but it's just enough to where like Marcus was saying earlier where you there is a little bit of crowd crowd control where you don't want to pull off your special attack because that'll leave you open. So you want to like do like three punches and then uh, turn around or like do your your backhand attack uh, and then get back to punching the other guys while they're in the air. So I like this. This does not feel as mashy as something like even Castle Crashers. Yeah. yeah, a little more thoughtful. Just yeah. Uh, Jordan Brown wrote in. He says, "Hey crew, did any of you guys play the Battle Toads and Double Dragon crossover game on Super Nintendo? My brothers and I played the hell out of it and loved it. Also, it has a really good soundtrack." No, I never played that one. No, no, I, I never played it. Did the you only Battle Souls game I ever played was the the arcade game that was included with uh, Rare Replay, which is surprisingly good, and I recommend everyone check that out because it's way better than the uh, the Battle Souls game that most people are like the NES one. Yeah, yeah, oh, I forgot it's yeah. in that package. Yeah, good call. Uh, yeah. Hey, Suriel Vasquez. Hello. You had other stuff you had to do today. Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll let you clap out, sir, but thank <laughs> you for your service. Mysterious. All right, see you guys. Bye. Oh, just an Assassin's Creed update for everybody. Um, he's now holding an axe, and it's very clearly Vikings, and it seems like a man with a what? beard. Yeah, let's ho hold on. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It could be anything. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that setting. a beard and an axe, but, you know, we don't know. We yes. don't know. Everyone is losing. still be Ezio. That is true. <laughs> he gets around. Uh, the... Uh, People are very excited about the boats, naturally. Uh, to have, like, sailing as a big part of Assassin's Creed again, going on raids with the Vikings team. But, you know, a, a cool Viking squad. Just uh, just a yeah. light pillaging is all they're into. Uh, and then, like, like, Viking ships aren't as fun to explore, aren't they? At least in my mind, a stereotypical boat is just one level. Like, the entire ship is just rows of people rowing. Mm, you yeah. want, like, the Viking cruise liner? <laughs> you want some place with a slide on the back, make it really sweet? Yeah, it's not really uh, an intimate, fun crew when you're singing <laughs> songs. It's just like 50 people slaving away at rowing the boat. <laughs> well, they're on a mission. They don't have time <laughs> to enjoy the sea. I mean, you think about it in the Mediterranean. Everyone can sit back, relax, uh, pet a mermaid. Right, up in the North Atlantic, good Christ, you have to dodge icebergs and narwhals. It's a nightmare up there. You really get to know the guy in row five, seat three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> hey, speaking of like local, uh, local fun, local brawlers, uh, 
the local multiplayer focus game Moving Out is now out. Uh, let's see, Kyle and Jeff, you two have played it a little bit? Yeah. What was, what's the Stadia? Pack, packed up, pack it up. Uh, yeah, pack, get out. Oh, not get out. Uh, <laughs> get <give> out. It. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's 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 a game on Xbox too that also seems to be like a physics based moving game. Really, I didn't know this was um, a weird yeah, genre. Yeah, right now, man, it's got it's like a, it's got like a gang beast vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. All this of them do. this one yeah. is much better. It seems. Okay, yeah. What yeah. do you think of it so far? My my wife and I beat it. Holy um, God! Oh. Yeah, it was wow. I, and I think I like it more than Overcooked. Oh, wow. I, I'll let, I have not finished it, but Jeff, that was my initial reaction too. That's huge. Like yeah, and I, I really loved Overcooked. Um, but I think this one is just and and if I like I had to I had to actually look up who was developing it because it it apes so much from Overcooked that I was like, is this like a weird like you know, spin off sequel kind yeah. of situation? Because it's also from Team Seventeen is publishing it, mm. which published Overcooked. Mm. Um but apparently, I, I don't know if they got the blessing from the Overcooked team or what. But I mean, down to the point where you're like you're driving a little moving truck around a cartoony map, and oh, really? Yeah, it's it's very similar. But huh. but in terms of you know main mechanics, you, every every stage is just some kind of house or a factory or something, and there's a bunch of different boxes and furniture and thing that you have to move, and you you run up to it and you hold in a button to kind of grab onto it with a friend and then you have to kind of move it out and you know pivot furniture as you're trying to get around obstacles so it's a lot of yelling pivot at each other yes yeah we i definitely did that at although although seinfeld is the main sitcom reference that goes after oh really how so there there is jerry's apartment right is in the is in the game it's like the third level oh that's super fun yeah huh does it like uh does it escalate to the point of like are you moving Lava out of a volcano. Oh, you go by... to space. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there, the there, Perfect. Yeah, there, there are fire jets and all kinds of ridiculous things. Uh, and But one of the things that I did appreciate about it is that um, each each level's timed and you do have to meet like the, the maximum amount of time, which sometimes takes a couple tries. But but once you do that, you get to move on to the next level. There are there are like certain hidden objectives that you can do, and those unlock special arcade levels. But you're not you're not gated in your progression like you were in Overcooked, where you, so you can just go from one level to the next without without too much hassle. And they do actually have a really good assist mode that lets you change a bunch of different factors if it is if some levels are too difficult. Because my my wife's controlling was was a little okay sometimes you're lucky she's not is she sitting right next to you by the way no she's not but i mean she she was laugh we laughed so much at this dumb game oh good and and part of it part of it is is just the actual physics of it where you you're picking up these giant couches and you're you're just knocking in everything It, it has very satisfying you know like physics for all the glass and everything that you are just totally ransacking these houses as you're trying to move out all the furniture as fast as you can. And then you have a, 
you have a throw button as well, so you can be chucking packages. And if you have two people on opposite ends of, you know, a couch or whatever, and you hold it in, you kind of swing it back and forth, and then you time it, and you're just launching these couches into the moving truck. Oh, that's it's amazing. all very satisfying. Yeah, uh, there yeah. is no online multiplayer, which I was a little bit bummed out by. It's like, yeah. oh, well, I'd love to do it for Great Goaty Hunt, but if it's just going to be me in the basement playing by myself, that kind of sucks. <laughs> Not as much gonna, fun, yes. I was going to ask, like, can you play this game by yourself, or is it much like real moving, where that's probably a bad <laughs> thing? I think you can. I think it just it. Some objects require two people, so I think if you're playing by yourself, it will just take the it will just take those objects out. But it certainly wouldn't be as much fun. Yeah, and overcooked. You actually would jump between characters if you were trying to play by yourself. So, uh, I mean, the big thing for me, uh, which maybe you feel similarly, Jeff, is like I I really have a good time with overcooked, but it's, sometimes it's just too complicated to be fun. You know, mm -hmm. like you have to make all these different ingredients and put them on this thing and take them here, and it's like. That's part of the charm of that game is how complicated it gets. But the thing I like so much about this game is the objective is always like get this package from point A to point B. Like the yeah. challenge is doing it quickly and the challenge is making sure you're working together at the right time and, you know, pivoting. But it's not like it's not like you have to relearn a dish every couple of levels. It's, just, mm -hmm. it's, it's more right. straightforward. And I think it benefits from that. I think it's more fun. as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You, you don't have timers of like food starting on fire if you leave them too long or anything like that. It's just get that crap into the truck as fast as you can. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's out on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Steam, and Xbox One. It's called Moving Out. I assume four-player support as well, yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I played it with three, so... Okay, yeah. nice. Uh, cool. Looking forward to checking that one out. Um, Kyle, you've also been playing a lot of Fortnite over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> what has your life been like? It's been weird. I, my kid has gotten really big into Fortnite because that's like how she, one of her best friends, that's how they've been staying connected is they play a lot of Fortnite and, yeah. I, and I've been kind of playing with her and then my wife Ashley kind of got into it too because just we're like, yeah, well, this is what Claire wants to do right now. We'll play with her and we've all bought battle passes and like I've gotten into Fortnite in a big way, which is like <laughs> I never expected that to happen. Like I'm having a good time with it. I assume it's not like the creative mode. You're actually being competitive no. in there. Yeah, we're like as a we're trying to we're fighting as a family. Like we've gotten victory royales <laughs> together, which has been like super satisfying and a lot of fun. You know? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, has anything stood out to you about the experience about getting into the Fortnite with the family? Um, I mean, nothing. I I, I guess I wouldn't say like I've learned anything because I've I played a decent amount of Fortnite up until now, and there yeah. are things that it's like. You know, it's always going to be more fun when you're in a room with other because we're all playing on Switch is how we're mm. doing it. So oh, we're all just awesome. like sitting in bed together and just like playing Fortnite together. And it's super fun to like, you know, have strategies and flank and stuff as a as a, as a family, you know. Yeah. And then I, I like so I, I haven't like like I said, I haven't there, there haven't been any big revelations, but like it's just been a, a, a fun family thing that I never thought would happen. I never thought like we'd become a Fortnite family. <laughs> Did know? the family uh, collectively lose their mind over that Travis Scott concert? Yeah, you know, I we it was funny because I had never heard of Travis Scott. None Me of either. us had. But then like a couple days before the concert, there were these giant inflatable Travis Scott heads in the environment. <laughs> and you got like special bonuses by jumping on all five of them. So that was just like all, among those many missions that we had, we're like, all right, let's all work together to jump on Travis Scott's head. I don't know who that is, but let's go do it. And then the concert, um, I didn't watch it live, oh, but man. like, I went and watched like the full videos afterward, and I'm and I'm disappointed that I didn't because it looks 
surprisingly awesome. Like, it's really cool what they did with that concert, even though I have no idea who Travis Scott is. I'm not a fan by any means, you know? Yeah, but if you haven't seen it, I do. It's one of those things. It's up there with Streets of Rage 4 where you should look at this thing. Just go on YouTube and look at it because it is, like, if you just like good, trippy sequences in games, like, it gets to the point where your character's underwater and then flying through space uh, and Travis Scott is a yeah. giant and everybody knows there's nothing better in a video game than a big thing in an open world. It, number one satisfying <laughs> thing. And even if it's a singer I mean, stomping across the world, it is amazing to see. Yeah, yeah. like I say, I remember checking in on like the Marshmallow DJ set and yeah. I guess Weezer did some stuff too, but it was laughable. But like <laughs> kids really loved it because they knew DJ Marshmallow, I guess. But it was just like you just stood in the game and looked up at a stage and a character that was the same size as everybody else was doing dance animations and you yeah. listen to music. But this is like so I was like when I heard there was a concert, I was kind of like, OK, well, I don't know this guy. I'm sure it's not going to be that interesting. But then like you see footage of it and it's like a giant is stomping across the <laughs> land and launching people into the air. And yeah. like it's it's genuinely cool. And if they want to keep doing more stuff like that, like I'm totally on board. It, oh, yeah. It, it was really impressive. Yeah. I had a similar reaction where I really don't play Fortnite. I probably play once every few months just out of a curiosity if something big happens. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know Travis Scott either. I, I only knew him before this because I saw him on a box of Reese's Puff cereal, and I was like, oh, he's a rapper, I guess. That, that's actually um, how I uh, find a lot of new music, too. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really good cereal. It's like Reese's in your mouth. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, I was like, oh, the cereal guy. He's doing a concert. Cool. Um, <laughs> Trick. And then, like, you know, wasn't gonna log in and then the videos the next day i watched the full concert too and which again i had a similar reaction of like i kind of wish i was in the game oh, to, 100%. to witness that firsthand that looks fun as hell and like you know he's i'm not gonna listen to him after this like the songs themselves are like oh you know whatever like trap electric music not really my thing um but yeah i like i know he did other ones i don't know if he's done with it because it was supposed to be like a tour of like five performances. I assume they're all just the same thing, but if you miss yeah, it, yeah, you can it's do the same it. thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if they're all done, but I was like, maybe I should get in on one of the other ones just to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. They're all done now. I think there were like six or seven total over the course of a weekend at specific times, but okay. Mm. But you never went back and did one no, of the other ones, I, which no. is silly of me. I wish I had. Uh, yeah. Mm. So Epic released numbers that apparently 27.7 million unique players in game participated uh, in Live, participated live 45.8 million times across the five events to create an astronomical experience. Um, and so then even today... Uh, <laughs> Jeff, you're like shaking your head. I don't know. No, it's I, mind-boggling. I, honestly, I, it's, it's just amazing to me how long Fortnite has stayed just so ridiculously popular, you know? Yeah. I, I mean... Kudos to Epic for figuring out this formula and for being able. It's it's the only it's the only game like this where they they can update it fast enough and continuously enough to just keep everyone totally enraptured with it. And that, that's amazing. Well, I'm trying to think. Is there any other? Well, probably some, but not at this scale. But I mean, the secret is just the fact that they also make the engine and know it so incredibly well sure. that it's like. It is if you have any questions about hey how do we make a giant uh, singer stomp across the land oh I, actually we got a tech guy over in the next uh, room who can really help you with that one you know like just having all that power in house in studio and there. making a billion dollars a day that they can just yeah, put the money into it factor, yeah it it, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't hurt as well yeah it uh, and they are very smart too because I don't know if you saw the stuff today about how it looks like they're going to be developing uh, party royale 
uh, which is just a separate island where you can go and just hang out and probably will mm. have more of these events in the future. Um, and Man. especially now, it's, you know, all I can go off of is my own experience. I saw it and I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to jump in there with friends and just have some place to mess around. I just wonder, like, for those of us who have seen it, did you have the same feeling I had where I was, like, watching the video and I just had this overwhelming sense of, like, this is, we're living in the future. Yes. Like, this is the yeah. future of, like, I, I don't get that often with, like, like, anytime, like, a new technology happens that, like, oh, something predicted this years ago and now it's here, sometimes it's just like, huh, I guess it happened. But this was, like, the one time I was like, huh, like, we're in a weird, like, we're in a virtual world watching a concert that's, like, fake, but it's technically real, and it's just a bunch of digital people that are real, and we're just hanging out in this fake world watching a guy stomp around and ride planets. Oh, also, like, also all real <laughs> concerts have been canceled and interacting socially <laughs> has been too. canceled. That's so, a factor. That's certainly a factor. But, man, it's, I... Yeah, it's like, this yeah, is the think, future of entertainment, right? Oh, yeah. Like, something like this? It's like, that's so crazy. Well, that's the crazy thing. I listened to this <laughs> interview on um, Recode Decode. Is that the podcast? I forget. Um, but there's some uh, interview with Jeffrey Katzenberg talking about Quibi and launching Quibi. He's a former Disney exec and uh, DreamWorks and now with uh, Quibi. That's uh, Quibi, ladies and gentlemen. But anyways, and so in that interview is that weird thing where he's talking about like, oh, do we cancel the launch of Quibi because of the quarantine? He's like, oh, no. Even though we don't have a red carpet event, it turns out we ended up having something better, which is we managed to line up a big event in Fortnite. They had like a premiere screening of the punked show on Quibi in Fortnite and stuff, but it really grossed me out to hear an executive just be like, well, we didn't have the red carpet, but, you know, we managed to squeeze out one of those hot Fortnite events. And I just cannot imagine being on, like, the Epic PR team or whoever fields this stuff with all these people trying to jump on and get their event in Fortnite. Because I just looked at Google Trends for Travis Scott. Uh, believe it or not, just skyrockets with this event. Like, is According to Google Trends, uh, he was flatlining before this. Um, they could have just invented him as a concept. I have no idea. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm going to pause one second, okay? Okay. There's a mouse in the house, and the cats are going crazy, and everyone's losing their mind, so I got I to I help. Hold on. Just give me a few minutes. <laughs> Hang on. Three that's minutes some, to That's some wacky fun that you can only have with the family. <laughs> well, you know, Kyle's <laughs> gone, but I don't think he'd have much, much to... Uh, add to this anyway. Hey, do you want to yeah, just the, jump the, in? You want to talk about WWE <laughs> stuff, Marcus? Yeah, wrestling. So, this is the yeah. wrestling. <laughs> so, wrestling, the only thing that has survived the apocalypse, everything else is down. Real sports are down. Uh, live entertainment down. Wrestling is just the cockroach of the entertainment. You <laughs> just can't kill it no matter what. <laughs> Resistance to everything. Um, well, there's a new on. wrestling game coming out. Okay, so hang on. Just to back up a little bit, though. WWE in general, what are they doing? Because wasn't it something like WrestleMania, they just did it without an audience? So yeah, what they've been doing since, you know, the pandemic has kind of hit its peak is that they've had to stop touring, of course, um, and they've moved all of their shows to the Performance Center, which is in Orlando, Florida, not far from where I am, honestly. Oh, interesting. And um, and the Performance Center is basically their, like, not their HQ, like their HQ is up in Greenwich, Connecticut, but this is like their, when you get like where they train all the wrestlers, basically. Like when you get signed, you go to the performance centers, the state-of-the-art facility, and they also have like theaters, basically, where they film um, NXT. Or not NXT, but NXT is like the development territory that's now its third brand. But pretty much they can film stuff there. Yeah. And it's meant to be practice for the wrestlers. So they're like, hey, let's just film all of our shows here with no crowd and like minimal staff and just do that until, you know, things get better is it weird um, are they acknowledging it is it what's the vibe oh, they, like 
it's very weird because you, you don't you know you don't realize until after the crowd's gone like how much wrestling depends on a live audience um to react to stuff and and you know as a wrestler you're trained to like listen to the crowd and kind of use them as your your guide of like oh you know they're kind of going down right now or distracted by something maybe we won't do anything big until we got their attention again and like okay now we'll do a move and now we've got them in the palm of our hands so now we can really go crazy so i i this this will be weirder for them than us oh but yeah it's pretty weird being a fan and just not getting that feedback of like somebody on a promo saying something really cool or like profound and no one's like oh, oh. Yeah. or like Oh, but at the same time, maybe someone says something stupid and no one could be like, oh, God. <laughs> so um, on the promo front, it's been a, it's been less weird than the wrestling because it, it, they've kind of um, been able to kind of take advantage of it and just like shooting weird cinematic things like that they, they probably wouldn't otherwise do, like getting more experimental. We're like, hey, what if we had this guy talk, you know, in a really low voice, which you wouldn't really do because they have to speak to a crowd. But like, what if he's just like in the rafters, just kind of like talking about how he's going to get this guy and stuff <laughs> or something like that, which they'll do sometimes in the live shows, but they've really been like upping that now. That's fine. But then with the matches, it's, you know, you just see them do their thing and then it's quiet. And then sometimes like WrestleMania specifically, you could even hear the commentary in the replays because it's just the commentators talking. And since there's no one there, you can just hear them oh yelling God. and reacting. Like I remember WrestleMania, there was like a recap, like someone did a move and they replayed it and you could hear the commentary through the replay. And it was really like, like <laughs> such a production gaffe that you would never expect from WB, which is very tight with that stuff. But it's like, I guess, what can you do in that situation? Yeah, There's yeah. nothing to buffer it because they're right at the ring. In this era, um, it's so fascinating <laughs> to see like different performers. Uh, you, I think it says a lot about the performer, how comfortable they are performing without an audience. Like different comedians, different late night comedians are at different levels of discomfort. Uh, Bill Maher seems to be at a 10 out of 10 with discomfort of not having the audience. <laughs> Whereas like John Oliver is like, oh, it seems better for him overall, you know? And it's so mm-hmm. weird, especially like uh, thinking about then wrestlers that I imagine that weird arc too of some are more comfortable, whereas others and their entire persona just is fueled by the emotions of the crowd that can play a little bit more loose and they just must be melting down. Yeah. I mean, the undertaker basically changed his gimmick to his old biker gimmick. Cause it's like, Oh, the whole, you know, pomp of coming out with smoke and stuff doesn't really work well when there's no one around to react. So I'll just be like a normal, I'll go back to being a normal biker guy that I did for three years back in the early 2000s. That makes more sense. <laughs> So. <laughs> so weird. Anyways, but on the gaming front, everybody knows that the last couple of years, the, the 2K games have been less than stellar, and last year it seemed like the shit really hit the fan, and it was Glitchapalooza, uh, I believe is what they called the wrestling event online. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I reviewed 2K24 site, and that was a, uh, a terrible weekend. Uh, it, yeah, it was really bad across the board, and a lot of that was because of um, like longtime developer Ukes getting pulled out of the project by 2K midway through development because yeah. nukes gave in you know they, they pretty much had been doing those games since the playstation one since like the original smackdown games like pretty much it's like back when those games were good basically yeah um and then you know they gave like an interview not long after they got pulled where they pretty much expressed what a lot of fans have been saying like out of frustration over the last few years of like yeah we'd love to try some new ideas but they won't let us you know, we got to get these games out every year. And, you know, we, we're sitting on a bunch of stuff we'd like to try that, like, we know they're not, they could be better. But, you know, didn't we can't you do say, anything. Didn't you say they were going to release their own wrestling game? 
Yeah, they say they were working on something at the same time. Like, oh, yeah, we got another team. Like, we've, we're coming up with our own rival wrestling game that's not going to be tied to any license. It's going to be its own thing, and that's pretty much going to be where we dump all the ideas that we can't put into WB games and more or less compete with ourselves since they're the only game in town when it comes to wrestling games. It's very um, confusing. And then Visual Concepts uh, picked it up, and they make uh, you know some of the best-performing 2K games overall with the NBA series, uh, yeah. and then it was clearly coming in hot. And so uh, they released a statement uh, this week saying that gaming industry veteran Patrick Gilmore is going to serve as the executive producer of the franchise. Uh, he worked on Killer Instinct, Medal of Honor, and Disney's Aladdin in the past. Uh, this is from Forbes' article. And then 2K said that with that, we hear you and we know you want more from the WWE franchise. So here's what we're going to do. We're applying what we've learned to the next WWE 2K simulation game with a renewed focus on quality and fun. As part of that commitment, we are extending the production timeline and will not be releasing WWE 2K simulation games, uh, a simulation game in 2020. We want to ensure the development team at Visual Concepts can create a game that will entertain grizzled WWE 2K veterans as well as newcomers who want to climb through the ropes and step into the ring for the very first time. What do you think, Marcus? Decent call? Uh, yes. The first thing, I, my first reaction was, thank God. Oh, That's good. That's something a lot of people have wanted. A lot of fans are like, just take a year off. Just just, just take a year off. And then after last year's fiasco, that you know, that grew to a fever pitch. It's like, just get your get everything together and just figure this out. So like, for it to take a pandemic to have that happen, I'm like, you know, this might be the best thing that's come out of this whole thing. It's like, hey, no wrestling game this year. Well, um, there is kind of a wrestling game this year because uh, Saber well, Interactive will be releasing WWE 2K Battlegrounds. They, they've released uh, 2K Playgrounds, the NBA series, uh, and created that. And now this is a weird, cartoony, arcade uh, wrestling game, which, what do you think of that trailer? Is that doing it for you? Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, has anyone, remember WWE All-Stars game that came out? I remember um, it. I never played it, but yeah. Yeah, this game, pretty much a lot of people are saying, like, oh, is this, like, a sequel to that? Because that was, like, that came out last year, and it was pretty much a cartoony arcade. Like, it was what NBA Jam is to the NBA for WWE. Okay. And people did not like All-Stars? Am I remembering correctly? No, people love that game. That game oh, they did. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's got a pretty vocal cult following of people for years being like, just do another one of those instead of these terrible sim games. Like, let's just, let us have fun with wrestling again. Yeah. Um, so when this was announced, like, you know, that's the first thing I thought is like, are they just doing that again? And it's made by the NBA Playgrounds team. Yeah, Saber. Saber and yeah. were like blowing up these last few months, I feel. I feel like I'm hearing about Saber all the time, weirdly. Yeah. So like uh, watching that trailer, it didn't look great from like a polished standpoint and i just i just have so many questions about like the turnaround of like hey no wrestling this year to oh wait we have wrestling it's just different and it's like was this always going to happen or was it like did you guys just slap this together real quick and like the game has started development now like oh we we whipped together enough asses to make this trailer and this is kind of what we're going for but we just started making this in lieu of not having a game to ship because like, you know, the, the story was that, you know, WWE themselves, like, wouldn't allow there to not be a game every year. Oh, interesting. So it's like, is it like a contractual game? Like, okay, we can't do the sim stuff because of the pandemic. Like, we can't have wrestlers fly out and do mocap because that was the, that's kind of one of the big things. It's like, if they can't travel to do mocap to for new rules and new wrestlers that have, you know, joined the roster since last year, then we can't really do this game. So, like, we have to do something. But then I, it's a lot of conspiracy theories in my head about what's going on here. Because I wonder, like, 
they have all that tech there. So if they wanted to, they could maybe do 2K21 with the existing tech and then maybe tweak what they can in terms of like updating the wrestler's look to their current look. Like, hey, AJ Styles, he's got a red, you red tights right now. Let's just change the color palette. And I wonder if they would have done that if 2K20 was actually well received. Mm. Like, like what if that game was great? And they're like, oh, we could just do that again and tweak what we can. But it's like, we're already in a spot where like, no, we have to do something because last year's was like the breaking point. Yeah. And so like, we can't put that out again, even if we wanted to. Um, there, so let's ugh. do this instead. I, I don't know. It's Maybe, I mean, best case scenario, it's a fun little arcade side project that what they do actually release but it is that weird thing of okay it it overall could be a good thing something freaky and miraculous could happen with this arcade game otherwise just giving visual concepts some time to reassess is something that i'm sure every sports team uh every sports developer sports game developer is just craving yeah i mean it looks fun like you know you saw like john cena get thrown into an alligator by the rock that, that hasn't happened on tv yet um, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> we'll probably get there one day but uh, that's entertainment but, like, yeah like this could be a fun thing like i'm i'm excited to learn more about it i'm just like how, how i i just want to know when this started like develop like was this always yeah. in the works or did you guys just pull this out of your ass basically <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean i assume playground sold okay i've no idea but i mean it, with that as a framework yeah. i guess it makes sense that they would I mean, try to make something like that there are two playgrounds games i think right yeah i believe so i mean which is that's telling enough to me yeah you know, that, i guess so did well. uh kyle how'd the mouse go we got it it's little poor little egg leg is injured but we got it outside and we gave it some food i found it a nice little place to hide was the food but, your uh, hair uh, yeah, it was my hair, Hanson. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, Ricky Winterborn wrote in. He says, hey, remember that wrestling game called w- NWO versus WCW Raw Monday Night Smackdown Shut Your Mouth or whatever? I always pick that one up at Blockbuster. Uh, Most of those games in that title are good. Yeah. <laughs> I looked this up. This is very funny to me, but maybe being a big fan of wrestling, this is like run-of-the-mill stuff. But I looked it up. The name of the game is WWE Smackdown Shut Your Mouth. But the idea of yes. shut your mouth being in the name of a game is that, that might have been on a that might have honestly been a Game Informer cover. Oh, it's funny because was right? it? Oh wow! Yeah, know. that's when they used to just name subtitle the games after ca- wrestler catchphrases, and it was exclusively The Rock's catchphrases because he had a lot. But then shut your mouth was kind of the last one, and they're like, oh, we ran out of catchphrases, and that's probably the weakest one you can use as a catchphrase. <laughs> <That's> so silly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then Teezus wants to know what's the best wrestling game of all time, Marcus. You know, No Mercy for N64 is one that people cite. I think that game's great, but I think for me, I'd probably go uh, Here Comes the Pain for PS2, which is another one people hold in high regard. Okay. It's like the 2003 game, I'd say, in terms of all around, like the, the perfect blend of just being sim enough, like, oh, these are realistically realistic looking models but like still super arcadey and fun I, i'd say here comes the pain there it is the official <laughs> verdict the official mid-max verdict until somebody overrides it uh, yes until vince mcmahon shows up and is like <laughs> what are you talking about that's right uh, <laughs> hey uh kyle and marcus real quick there is a weird thing that happened this week where they announced dlc for dragon ball z kakarot yeah and, and it's dragon ball super i think we all assumed that they were going to make dragon ball Z or Dragon Ball Kakarot 2 and make it the super storyline. So it's weird that they're starting to eat that lunch with DLC. Well, it's just training with Beerus, I think. It's not, 
crazy stuff story heavy i could be wrong about that okay i mean i, I just watched the trailer but it seems like it yeah. is at least that first storyline oh okay. yeah. yeah it seems yeah it seems loosely based on like i guess either the battle of gods movie or the first arc of super like, yeah you, you do fight beerus yeah and you go Beer. and you get super saiyan god as a as a power-up it's interesting i like kakarot did you like kakarot marcus yeah i i i liked it i don't know if i liked it as much as other dragon ball fans and i'm a big dragon ball fan um but yeah like it's fine i think it's probably the second best dragon ball game behind fighters yeah i guess yeah it's decent i'm with you on that front yeah you say it with such caution in your voice but i think that's true (laughs) it's like i have i have some big problems with it but i think overall like i enjoyed my time with it enough to be like yeah like if i would recommend it to a dragon ball z fan without much issue yeah i was i'm excited on serial's behalf with this idea of oh if they're using the dragon ball super stuff for dlc for kakarot maybe that leaves the room and the door open for the idea of if they ever make a sequel to this game that they would tell the dragon ball arc which i do think would be so much more fun than going through the super storyline so i was intrigued by that um jeff um what's been going on in that freaky house of yours uh more board games is that what you're getting at i guess so yeah yeah, I got I got some board game recommendations for you, Hanson. Oh, really? Still one v one stuff? Yeah, one v one. That's what that's what I keep seeing people messaging me on Twitter and recommendations for in in the uh, Discord chat. Okay, well, nothing you recommend uh, can top Raptor because I'm just gonna play that until I die. So uh, you got to tell which I which I recommended, so that one counts. That's fine true, I guess. Uh, but the. The first one I got here uh, was actually, it was brought up by someone in the Discord, and I was like, oh, yeah, I should, that's that's totally a slam dunk recommendation, especially for you, Hanson, because oh, you no. bring up chess so often. Yeah. Because you're such a huge chess geek. Uh-huh. Uh, this one is called Onitama, and Onitama. it's kind of like if chess was made in the last 20 years of designer <laughs> board games. Oh, what? Where, where basically you have... You have uh, like one master, it's it's kind of martial arts inspired. You have one master pawn, and then you have four little guys, and you have to either uh, capture the opponent's master or get your master to the throne that he's at. But basically, on your turn, you have a couple of moves in that are shown on cards. You you have two little cards at your disposal, and they will show you which way you can move one of your characters. Hmm. And the other person has two cards, but then there's one in the middle as well. And whichever card that you use, you will swap out with the one in the middle. So you're basically cycling with your opponent through the different moves, and each one kind of allows you to move one of your pawns in a special in a special way. And, and you so play it on like it, a chessboard, then? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, it's 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 small. It's more compact than okay. the chessboard, but it's it's very much that back and forth feel of chess, except. Not only are you managing your own moves, you're thinking, well, if I use this one, I will then be giving it to my opponent on the next turn, and they'll have that move at their disposal. So how's that going to affect where their characters are? And it's a it's a much more thinky and interesting flow back and forth. Onitama, can you? Yeah, and it and it it comes with a whole it comes with a whole deck of cards, and you ever only use five per game, and so each game also feels very different from one to the next as huh. well. 
Can you hose it down with the Lysol or something and then just put it outside and I could swing by your house and pick it up? Yeah, yeah. Great. And do you want or to give me your address I'll then? I'll fall over it and tell you I hose it down. <laughs> Oh, how interesting. Uh, any other stuff you've been playing you like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got another one here that's not... This one's called Santorini, uh, first of all. Uh, and I don't have a good analogy for what it's it's like. It's It's another... It's another one with very short back and forth turns between you and your opponent where you're trying to get them into a specific position or you're trying to defend them. But basically you are you are building up these houses that are based on, you know, the town of Santorini. Uh, but you ha each turn you will move one of your two characters and then you will build a house. And you're trying to get the houses up to three levels and then get one of your characters on top of on top of those structures. And so you're kind of building up an entire town back and forth as you're going, trying to block your opponent from getting up to, you know, the third level themselves while trying to get your, your own character. But what's interesting about this one is that at the beginning of each game, you, you will both get one God card because it's all based on, you know, Greek mythology, but that card will give you a very powerful specific move that you have for that turn or for that game. And so maybe you'll be able to build a second building each time you turn. Maybe you'll be able to move farther or knock one of your opponents, you know, to a different space. But basically each power completely changes how this abstract little puzzle plays out each turn. Mm. And you both have one. So you're trying to learn on the fly, you know, okay, this is what their power is really good at. This might be what their strategy is this game. How can I counteract that with my turn? And again, you have a you have a whole deck of these cards, so each time there's a ton of replayability there. Nice, Santorini. Yes, uh, Marcus. Do you have... uh, oh, oh, you have another one, please. Yeah, one more. Um, this one is called Mister Jack in New York, which is a sequel to Mister Jack, but it's it's basically it's based on loosely based on Jack the Ripper. But this is a two player deduction game, kind of like Clue. Essentially, oh, is who I would recommend it for if, if you want kind of a more grown-up, thinkier version of Clue. And and I wouldn't really expect a deductive game to work with just two players. But essentially, you, you have this board with hexagon grids, and you have a bunch of different characters out there. And if you are the Jack the Ripper character, you know which of those characters is Jack the Ripper, and the other person is the detective, and they're trying to figure that out. And each round... You're both of you are moving these characters around, trying to spread them out. If you, if you're Jack the Ripper, you're trying to get your character to escape, but you're you're both controlling all of the characters, and so you're kind huh. of if you're the detective, you're watching who your opponent is moving and where where they're trying to get them to, and essentially at at the end of every round, you're going to be. Uh, exposing certain characters on the board, if if they're next to each other, you the Jack the Ripper character basically has to expose whether they are the Jack the Ripper character or if if they're someone else. And so you're basically turn by turn, you are the detective is reducing who the potential suspects are and then trying to corner them off and make sure that they don't escape and using all of these different you know, special powers that each yeah. character has. That sounds sweet. And so it's, it's <laughs> another super thinky one. Um, and it's, it's very tense regardless of which side you're playing on. A as the detective, you are really trying to kind of 
corral everyone down and make sure that no one's getting too close to the to the different places that you can escape from and it it's even more intense playing as Jack the Ripper because you're really trying to figure out how you can position the characters and not give too much away as you're going each turn. Uh, and it's it's a super exciting game. That's awesome. Jeff, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to go try to buy that one when we're done. <gasps> just because of because you said Clue, and that's like yeah, that two-player Clue. There I'm, you go. Sold. Wow, yeah. there we go. Yeah. That, that one is, it's a little harder to find. It's a little more expensive if you're looking on Amazon or but all these games are available on tabletop simulator as well. So well, there you go. Oh. Uh, you I'm, there. I'm amazed, Jeff, um, at how many games you buy. I mean, what? I have a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds a month on tabletop games. Yes. Uh, no, and you know, I, I thought that maybe at some point I should do a video, on how to buy a ton of board games without bankrupting yourself. Tabletop simulator. Yeah, well, that is one option, yes. But a, a lot of the games I've gotten from basically the community around the Twin Cities. You know, you have Board Game Geek is a website where, which is basically like the mecca for board game fans. Yeah, and they yeah. have they have different forums with you know, where basically wherever you live, there's probably a forum on Board Game Geek with other tabletop fans in your community, and you can. Especially like in the Twin Cities, they have an entire one for people reselling their games and stuff. And so probably like 75% of my collection has just come from meeting up with other people and buying games from them and stuff like that. It's a great time to go drive to a stranger's house. Hell yeah. Yeah, not so much right now, but... (laughs) No, that sounds really like a smart idea. Uh, Marcus, do you have a favorite tabletop game? You're playing anything? Um, I am not. I I wish I had more tabletop things than I, I own. I've played a lot. I remember actually playing Avalon for the first time with you when I was interning there. Oh, yeah, yeah. How'd that um, go? Refresh my memory. Oh, that was great. And I've always meant to buy it, and here we are almost five years later. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, um, I guess like like stuff like, like card games, like Cards Against Humanity, of course, is a, is a, has always been a big one. Um, Exploding Kittens is one I like to go to. Have you played um, Codenames? No, I've heard of it, but I've not played it. Just go ahead. We'll we won't mind if you're just distracted for a bit. Just buy Codenames. I think it is at this Very point. Good. I think it is the greatest uh, tabletop game ever made. Okay. Uh, right. And it, it works in a party. Works with flexible numbers, enough strategy, but open enough. Uh, yeah, it's it might be the greatest of all time. Okay, I'll, I'll take that endorsement. Um, can I share an Assassin's Creed op- update because we have a title and a world premiere? Like a trailer. Um, no, it's, so it's called Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and there will be a world premiere trailer April 30th at 8 p.m. Pacific. So, there we thank go. you, Marcus. They did it. So, they, it is Vikings. It is Vikings. So, oh. we got the Ragnarok name wrong. It's, uh, it's Valhalla. So, we, uh, we're all dumb. <laughs> so close yet so far. Uh, let's, let's really soak that in. It's rare to have a reveal live on a podcast. Valhalla. So, yeah. So what's can I look at? I mean, do, are there things like you can choose protagonist and stuff like that? Because I like that about Odyssey. I would have. I would be. They have to keep that right because people love that about Odyssey. I feel like you can't go back after you do that. I mean, I guess they could they could do what yeah. they want, but I feel like you would have the choice of being, you know, a, a man I mean, or a woman. They still haven't shown the protagonist's face, but there's a beard, so it's got it's clearly a man. I wonder if that's even like a um. You know, the experience of a woman during that era versus a man is different. Would they be different games? But I guess you could say that about Odyssey too. And 
it worked great. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see that trailer tomorrow and learn more about it. I'm curious in particular, like with that artwork too, the stuff on the right, I mean, okay, they invaded England, but you think there's something there? Is that what's being depicted there? Maybe. I don't know as much about Viking history as some other periods. Uh, so that's I, mean, I, it looks like. I would, I would wonder if there's going to be a point where they traveled to like the new world since they were supposedly have oh. got to North America before, you know, oh, well, everyone else. Everybody knows, Marcus. Don't be an idiot. I swear <laughs> to God. Okay, hang on, hang on. Seriously. <laughs> Does anybody want to take this bet? That is the DLC. Going to the New World? 1,000%. That's what it's they're going to do. It's a prequel to Assassin's Creed 3. <laughs> yes, honestly. Yeah. I bet that'll happen, man. The Vikings running on trees. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, I like uh, in the, looking at the art on the left side. You, you're just talking about the castles on the right, but on the left side, it's got like they got the, it looks like the Aurora Borealis. It's got like a really cool uh, coloring to it. It's funny, we were joking about the coloring earlier, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, that's a really nice green. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there'll be a lot of like sneaking? Because, like, I don't know, when I think of a stereotypical Viking, like, Anything involving stealth does not exist. Clomp, clomp, clomp. Like, they are just in your face killing you. Like, I can't picture a, a Viking sneaking up a, a high vantage point to go jump and stab somebody. Yeah. yeah hey, I don't know. Well, look, yeah. They're, they're shaking all the standards for Creed, and uh, we'll know what's going on with the trailer on Thursday after we recorded this. So we shouldn't yeah. speculate too much. Uh, but, hey, uh, Jeff, do you know how this whole thing operates? Alcohol. Alcohol, primarily, yeah, during the quarantine. Uh, no, Patreon, ladies and gentlemen. Patreon.com slash MinMax. Two ends. Uh, if you support us at any tier, you get access to the wonderful MinMax Discord. I've had so many people message me saying, I know you keep saying that the Discord's very nice, and I guess I didn't really believe it. And then they enter the Discord, and there's like a notification, and then you are swarmed. It feels like just swarmed with warmth and friendliness and people being like, what games do you like? How'd you find us? What do you want to do? Do you want to play in our community game nights? Let's go. Uh, people are amazed at how nice that Discord community is. So please check it out if you're looking for a good group to talk about games with. And the amazing thing, too, is just having that tiny paywall, you know, $2 uh, a month. You can just enter for one month if you want. No harm done. Uh, tiny paywall eliminates all heads. Uh, it's a it miracle. really does. It feels like it's a loophole for the internet. So please check mm -hmm. it out. Uh, and then also, if you support the $5 tier, you get the audio versions of The Deepest Dive uh, for Final Fantasy VII Remake, Animal Crossing, Chrono Trigger, and going back in time to Outer Worlds as well. So please check that out. Um, but thanks to Brandon Sylvia and his channel, Easygoing Gaming. He says, Easygoing Gaming is extremely excited to be one of MinMax's monthly Patreon sponsors. I chose to advertise on this channel because it's a channel I watch and enjoy regularly. Therefore, I felt this was the most organic form of advertising I could do for my channel. Easygoing Gaming is a YouTube channel dedicated to covering all things relating to the world of video games, with videos ranging from news and reviews to lists and predictions. I hope to provide a little bit of something for everyone. I've been a lifelong gamer and I'm excited to share that love and passion with a community as passionate as yours, so please search easygoing gaming channel and check it out uh he's been very sweet he called into minfax for the call-in version of minfax our weekly uh mm. exclusive q a um and talked about like netflix adaptations and stuff but he's very nice he has an article or a video up on easygoing gaming right now talking about um basically a little bit like we talked about last week at the minmax show about whether or not the remake boom will ever go away in the video game industry if this is a bizarre bubble overall um but he, much like Margus, is trying something new. He's trying to get this channel off the ground, so go there, show him some love, leave a nice comment, uh, subscribe if you enjoy this stuff. I know he'd really appreciate it. 
Also, he has a new video about five games released in 2019 that deserve a sequel. Number one will blow your mind. Oh. Uh, also, Did not click that. <laughs> also, thanks to uh, I Am 8-Bit for their continued support of MinMax overall. They're absolutely fantastic. If you go, check out their amazing online store filled with a ton of vinyl soundtracks, uh, exclusive uh, boxed versions of games that are only released digitally elsewhere. Uh, if you buy anything there, you can use the promo code MinMax and you'll get 10% off. Also, I was going to talk about this before uh, they sent me an email asking me to talk about it uh, for their support here, but pre-orders are up for the Ape Out soundtrack on vinyl. And not only does it like look amazing, the art for this is amazing, but the amazing thing is they call it the first ever live gameplay album. Dynamically generated jazz as conducted via playthrough by the game's designer. Because mm-hmm. that game is so reactive to what the player is doing, for the actual vinyl soundtrack, it is the soundtrack from a playthrough. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. So again, check out that A About Art and uh, head on over to I Am 8-Bit and show them some love for supporting us in the community. Um, and normally I Am 8-Bit ships out something amazing uh, from their warehouse for the question of the week for the community questions here. But because it turns out there are five Thursdays in the month of April, uh, the math got a little bit off. So this week we're going to be giving out a game code. We're going to be giving out a game code of Into the Breach on Steam, uh, one of the best games from the last couple of years. Uh, thanks to Rob Hudak. He donated this uh, Steam code. So thank you so much, Rob. Right. Uh, be sure to thank him thanks, in the Rob. Discord mm-hmm. or anywhere else. Um, okay, community questions. Uh, first one's The Smack. He says, what is one game that you love but will probably never play again? Reasons could include time, investment, mood, time, place, or maybe a part of the game that you dislike. I love this question. Something you unquestionably love but just realize I'm never going to do that again. Uh, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. Oh, why is that? It's just a tough game. It, like not, And I don't mean challenging. I mean like emotionally challenging and it's uncomfortable and it was like an amazing experience but it's not something I really want to like put on myself again you know yeah but, but i weirdly want to i'm weirdly excited to play the sequel mm-hmm. so i don't i don't know what's i guess, I guess I'm, i want to see what's next for senua but like i don't want to relive that period of her life again interesting huh yeah i feel like for me that's almost every games i really don't replay games at all um but i i thought uh, on a similar note of kyle's mine's probably uh brothers of tale of two sons that's an interesting and one. I, yeah, I mean, that impact of that ending in particular, it kind of only yeah. works once, right? Yeah, like, I was like, I don't know if I want to, like, I love that game, but it's like, maybe if it was co-op and I wanted to show it to somebody else, like, hey, let's play together, um, but brace uh, yourself. You, you don't, but... don't play it co-op. You're not allowed to. Uh, <laughs> he said that he would rather cut off his own hands than have people play that game co-op. He literally <laughs> okay, did well, an interview I, with you, I right? don't want to be responsible for him having <laughs> no hands. Um, uh, Joseph but... Ferris, right? Said that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like something he would say. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like because of where that game goes and it hit me pretty hard at the time, the way I was yeah. not expecting, um, I was like, I don't need to do that again. But yeah. Yeah. Still, it's an amazing game. Oh, one of my favorite moments, yeah. honestly, in all of gaming that I've ever experienced mm-hmm. is that, that thing it's at the end. It's up there, man. It's yeah. so it's, good. Yeah. Um, I went the very lazy route of just, well, I love JRPGs, especially older JRPGs, and I love long JRPGs, but... Even with the Xenoblade Chronicles remastered coming out, and I think it looks great on Switch, I don't think I want to put 100 hours into that game again. I loved it on on Wii, but I think I might be good. You don't want to play 100 hours to get to that epilogue? I'm sure it'll... (laughs) Thought about it. (laughs) What? I'm that. It's crazy that they have to play the full game to get that. Well, Persona 6. I love that game, too, and I was like hoping, like, please be standalone so I have to play through the whole game again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Jeff, um, are you ever going to play Red Dead again, or is that just kind of one and done? Yeah, for you? yeah, Red Dead, <laughs> okay, cool. exactly. I know. I, I was going to say The Walking Dead season mm, one. Like, I I really loved that experience, but I'm so over those types of games to begin with, and then just the emotion. I'm, you know, it was a very good story that I'm I'm fine only having experienced it once. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Justin Hughes says, "Do you have guilty pleasures, and you might not want a lot of people knowing?" Not ashamed of, but not something you would tell strangers at a bar. Mine might be watching Vampire Diaries or Gilmore Girls with my wife. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with Gilmore Girls. <laughs> uh, that's my, that's uh, a good pick. I was on uh, the other our music podcast, Min Tracks, and I feel like this is was kind of my topic because I talked at length about Blink One Eighty Two and like how they're a weirdly very important band to me, but it's not like I don't go about you know proclaiming my love for Blink-182 all the time, you know? You uh, should, so Kyle. I mean, tracks. there are a lot of fans when that episode was coming out, they're like, hell yes, Blink-182. Like, I don't think it's as much of a point of shame as you seem to think it is. Yeah, I think you have some weird guilt complex over own, this thing. I like, punk rock mentality from, like, late high school that I felt like I wasn't supposed to be into them, but, like, I, I'm over that now, you know? Yeah, it's a different thing, because I think they're a little bit cooler than Blink-182, but I definitely have that where, you know, when I have my music on shuffle, there's my music going back to high school, because I don't age um but there's definitely moments of like when anti flag or something pops up and it's like oh boy all right i do like this they're like you know what i still do like billy talent a lot and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna second yeah, yeah. guess it at this point yeah i um i love reading really terrible fan fiction really <laughs> like yeah like i um when i was in college um, one of, a really good friend of mine that was one of the things we bonded over because she was really big in the deviant art scene and still kind of is as an artist and she would tell me, like, oh, my God, like, people write terrible fanfics based on, like, Sonic and Mortal Kombat, like, because she's really into Mortal Kombat. And we would sit in her apartment and literally spend entire afternoons just finding just the worst written garbage and just, like, <laughs> laugh at it. And I was, like, I, I like part of me felt kind of bad. It's, like, this person clearly put their heart into this, but it's just not working. Um, but other times, <laughs> it was, like, no, this is just, like, this is funny. And since then, like, I just have an appreciation. I love things that are so bad they're good in general. But, like, um, I will still to this day, like, sometimes look up stuff or if something comes my way. I'm like, I'm going to sit down and read this whole thing and and waste a half hour doing that. Um, actually, did you guys play Quantum Break? Yeah, the start of it. Do you remember the, um, the Time Knife script that you can find in that game? It's one of the collectible oh, documents. Eggly. It was it's this. a few light moments in that game, right? Yeah, it's actually my favorite thing in that entire game because the the premise is that it's one of the employees of Monarch who is trying to pitch a screenplay for this movie called Time Knife, and it's just this really terrible, like, action future thing about a guy with a knife that stabs people and sends them through time, and he's, like, <laughs> being super earnest about it. Like, it felt like whoever wrote that was, like, my spirit animal. Like, they <laughs> read so much bad fan fiction because it, it just came off so cheesy but so earnest, and he's just... And it's, like, two or three, like parts that you find throughout the game where he just keeps emailing the person going no no, no i had another chapter here here we go and i remember loving that because of my love of bad fan fiction that's so, amazing yeah. um so if you've written any terrible fan fiction um or if you've written fan fiction that you think is good um send it to me and i will enjoy it either way if it's great i'll like it if it's bad i'll like it so, <laughs> all right that sounds good you know, can't lose <laughs> uh sir or jeff i flawless yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Don't worry about it. Stud Muffin wrote in and says, "What do you guys think about IGN trying to grab up E3 announcements with Summer of Gaming?" Uh, I think it's super smart 
uh, somebody felt like needed to step up and fill that hole, and IGN is big enough of an organization to be like, yeah, of course, game companies are going to want to work with them to try and have some sort of splashy reveal around that time. So, you know, yeah, it would have been cooler if it was... Project is committed now? Like, yeah. That was the most recent one, right? Yeah, they're yeah. going to be doing something That's with huge. Cyberpunk there. Yeah, it's it's absolutely huge. Hmm. Um, and so it would have been cooler if it was somebody indie be cooler if it was min-max, but hey, that's fine. Like, happy for IGN, uh, and I hope, I just hope there's, like, a an event. I hope that is pointing to something instead of kind of this stretched out kind of miasma of coverage. You know, I want a day or two to tune in and really enjoy some game reveals, so. Uh, Daniel Shin says, I just finished listening to the newest Final Fantasy VII Deepest Dive and joined the min-max, min-max Patreon just to post this. Jeff Jeffum's comment about the word cinematic being thrown around too often is actually something I'm noticing as well in the world of games. People describe recent games as being cinematic, but I feel like people only use that word for the lack of a better term. Games have so much more potential to immerse players than movies because of the interactive nature of them, but calling them movie-like feels like it's restricting the medium into something it's not. I love movies and I love games, but I don't think it's fair to compare the two mediums when they're so different. Am I being too much of a purist? I mean... It's kind of a shorthand for like good cinematography, right? It's just like good camera yeah. work. Almost, I think it's right? just, yeah, it's almost a shorthand for like not video game embarrassing, which is yeah, a I weird mean, thing. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I I wonder if it's like the age, whoever the age of this person. Like, I feel like because games have been so cinematic for so long, there's a generation where like they may might make that distinction or have that line. They're like, no, that's just how games are. You know? Yeah. So like that's just video games and not just film. So I, maybe if they're a little younger, maybe that's like, gets annoying of like, what's the difference? Like, this is just video games, but for, I guess, old people like us, (laughs) it's like, no, I still see that now. Like, oh yeah, that's like, like Kyle said, like, oh, that's really good cinematography, like film. Um, So, I mean, we could say it's like, it's like TV. We can change it to that instead. Yeah. Jeff, you just look horrified. Did someone (laughs) kick down the door? Yeah. My wife's trying to, communicate with me silently <laughs> begging you not to play any more 1v1 board games <laughs> yeah she, she was holding a big pile of them with a lighter I, I... <laughs> but i i think it's fascinating that idea of you know if you look at rotten tomatoes and look at some of the low scoring films uh in the last 10 years people will sometimes call it like it feels like a video game right which mm-hmm. is always fascinating like it feels gamey whereas cinematic with a video game is a compliment and then every once in a while people use filmic instead of cinematic. I remember like Ready at Dawn called The Order 1886 filmic. I was like, what? Just say cinematic. What's going sure. on here? It's like, yeah. Is that a word? I don't Fewer know. syllables. Uh, but Jeff, am I take it you agree with Daniel here? Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of goes back to people, people talk about video games in terms of either gameplay or storytelling. And I think it's somewhat natural to kind of compare the storytelling aspect of it to films but but it, it always has felt like a like i don't really understand what people say when they when they say cinematic like like mm-hmm. you said it, it feels like shorthand for it's kind of like a film and that to me doesn't necessarily mean that it it's good or bad and mm. and when we were talking about it in in terms of the final fantasy stuff i had said it feels cinematic in terms of the emotions that it's evoking and the sense of putting me in an adventure. And I, I think, I think people, people don't really mean that a lot when they, when they use the term term cinematic, when they're talking about video games, I always get, I always get the feeling of 
yeah, that cutscene in Uncharted, like the people looked really good and therefore it's cinematic. Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. murky. Uh, Crater has an interesting question. He says, what pops into your mind when you think of iconic opening lines to video games? Things that come to mind for me are listen to my story in Final Fantasy X. And of course, I love that you went for this, Crater. You're after my heart. Uh, the opening of Mega Man Legends with, in a world covered by endless water. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I love that. And then he goes, whispered. I love that opening. Yeah. Mega Man X has the in the year 20XX, which is always, no one knows what that means. It's like, is that 2020? It's well, like, that's no, all it's Mega Man. 20 yeah. mystery, mystery. <laughs> oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. It won't be 20 till it's 21 something that'll be out of date. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if we have the, the technology to like play one or if you want to put it in post, but the beginning of the original Nier is like insane and like super in your face because it's just a black screen. And just this crazy string of profanity from just like the angriest woman I've ever heard. You have no what you don't know what the context is, but it's just her like screaming at another character to help, to help us. And it, it really it sets the tone for that game. And you're like, hmm, I kind of want to see what's happening here because this right. is weird. Yeah, we'll put it after the credits. <laughs> All right, get, yeah. yeah, you're gonna have to bleep stuff, so get ready. Sure. <laughs> I think I, I have two. One that is genuinely iconic, and then one that became surprisingly famous. Like the the famous one is the opening to Symphony of the Night. But like, oh, die nice. monster, you yeah. don't belong in this world. Like I think of that as soon as I think of that game. That's the first line of dialogue I think of. <laughs> and, and like you know, it's a pretty famous opening scene in general. Yeah. Um. But then one that has gotten surprisingly famous, a lot of it due to meme culture, is the first line in Skyrim when you wake up in the wagon and a guy just goes like, "Hey, you." You're finally awake. Right. Like, people yeah. quote that like crazy now. <laughs> of and course. It's iconic. It's like, I guess it's the first thing you hear in a, in a really popular game, but like, <laughs> people have really run with that line for other things. Yeah. Was, 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 Chrono Trigger was just wake up Chrono, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Or is it like a Luke, I am your father situation where it's like, I think, think it, it's it might be chrono, like Chrono. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit longer than that and more confusing than that. But yes. Okay. But Andrew Reiner has the shirt that says wake up Chrono. And I remember that's thinking that it shirt, wasn't exactly yeah. that. But yeah, um, I thought of like StarCraft 2 because it's also the reveal trailer. And then it's the opening where it says Tychus being assembled as a Marine. And then he just goes, hell, it's about time. I, it's just amazing. But then I went back and watched <laughs> that again. I forgot. Oh, there's like other lines of dialogue there. It's not like truly the opening line because they're like yeah. talking about all the crimes he committed and all that stuff. But. And then, and, I mean, war, war never changes. Yeah, that, oh, I was going to say the ultimate cliche. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, that one doesn't still... count because it's too obvious. Right. Uh, <laughs> Tom Blackburn says, hey, cohorts in the CLCs. Sure. He says, what reality TV show deserves an honest, high-budget video game adaptation? Thanks. Also, Should we just all say Survivor? Oh, weird. Yeah, I don't know what, why I chose to include this one. Maybe it's Survivor! Make the Survivor game! And none of these Survivor-inspired battle royales like SOS or whatever from a couple years ago. Just spend a little money. It's one of the greatest shows on TV, and it's all just about social dynamics. You could create a relatively cheap online cool survivor adaptation and i'm so annoyed that in this age of battle royales no one's made the ultimate social battle royale jeff um jeff probe survivor right god is so it, is there not a ps2 game i could have sworn there was a ps2 game i don't know no there was a p there's a uh, pc game i think from 2000 or 2001 okay um hmm. but uh, believe it or not it was just like a mini game collection it's not actually playing the game of Survivor with a group, which I think would work really well online, even if it's some weird asynchronous thing. 
Yeah, Survivor the Interactive Video Game, 2001 for PC. So yeah, grab that, Hanson. That'll, that'll okay. Serve, I'll put it volume. in the queue of like games to play at Midmax. Actually, I think that'd be really oh, fun to try and go back to that. Keep us eye on that. Oh my <laughs> god! Good old games. We'll see. Gog.com. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, but uh, I had. Oh please. Oh sorry. I had a. Um, I don't watch a lot of reality TV, but um, I did watch again. Being a wrestling fan, I used to watch Total Divas, like the first season of it. Yeah. And I would want. Um, so in that show, it's revealed that John Cena it has like almost crippling OCD. Like he's really particular about his house, and that was like a source of conflict with him and Nikki Bella because she would move things around. He'd be like, uh, "No, no, like don't mess up the counter and stuff." And like he would have Daniel Bryan and, and and Brie Bella over for dinner, and they had to wear suits to dinner and like dress up. And they were like, "What?" So I want a game that hones in specifically <laughs> on that element of the show, where like John Cena is like a Mr. X style enemy where he's constantly <laughs> patrolling his giant house yeah and you have to try to like you were like you've been invited for dinner you get to the house you realize this guy's insane and you're trying to sneak out of the house without messing up anything like it's just this clean house and you can't you don't want to get dirt on anything you don't want to knock anything over and you just hear him stomping around his mansion because it's yeah. really big so it, it could, it's a good house to use for a game and then if he sees you, because you're not wearing a suit, you're just wearing your normal clothes, like he's waiting for you to come to dinner, and if he sees you without your suit, he sends you back to your room to change, and that's like game over. And you're just trying to get out of his house. I love it. And how about this instead is... of like hearing the footsteps, Mr. Exile, you can just hear his theme song, just like getting quieter oh. or louder. How does it go uh, again, Marcus? It's him saying if you want some, come get some constantly. <laughs> and hustle loyalty uh, respect. There's so. got to be a Hello Neighbor mod. Right, because this is like, the hell of neighbor is like you're sneaking around the house and yeah. you know. What's the yeah, um? So... I I know wrestling is a rabbit hole, and uh, I don't want to get too far down it, but it's fascinating. What's like the weirdest storyline in John Cena's history? Like, what's the weirdest thing he's ever done? And he, I know he's like the squeaky clean wrestler, relatively, right? Yeah, okay, kind of. Uh, but he's honestly, it stuff. might be this year. So rest, his WrestleMania matches here. He fought a guy named Bray Wyatt, who is um. Basically, he's like across right now between like an, a demented Mr. Rogers and then an actual demon guy. Like he has like split personalities, and he has like his this Pee Wee Herman style thing called the Firefly Funhouse, where it's just a <laughs> bunch of puppets, but it's really demented. And he feuded with John Cena, where they had a match called a Firefly Funhouse match, where it was not even wrestling; it was just like a 15-minute fever dream, where it was like this actually really intelligent and subtle character examination of John Cena's entire career where it was like jumping to all these different skits where the puppets are interacting and are co the puppets are commentating the match and John Cena's, they're changing costumes or he's in his original debut gear and then his rapper phase. And what? then like, it's, it's, the, it's hard to describe, honestly. It's one of those things you kind of have to watch to really get it, but it's one of the best things that came out of this, wrestle, this very weird WrestleMania with no crowd and stuff. That sounds um, great. Yeah, it's it's cool, especially that he kind of like that he went along with it. Like yeah. he was a really good sport because a lot of it's really just making fun of him. So. <laughs> Weird. Uh, Tom so, yeah. Tom Blackburn also says, uh, "P.S. If you have Amazon Prime, you have Twitch Prime. Don't give it to that lunatic Greg Miller. Give it to MinMax. Now that we're a Twitch affiliate." Um, so thank you for your plug, Tom. I mean, Greg is barely a lunatic, but sure, if you'd like to support <laughs> us on Twitch, we'd appreciate it. Uh, Super Dax says, hey there, MinMax, what is the cringiest thing someone has walked in and saw you do in a game? Anything from an embarrassing rage moment or something inappropriate on screen? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I was trying to figure out what shape a honeybee girl was drawing with her ass recently. <laughs> in Final Fantasy VII? Yeah. 
and you're doing that in. that was that oh. was fun what so you're huh? just squinting at the screen you had your magnifying glass on i, I was up against it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh. perfect uh super dax says hey there min max uh what is the oh never mind that was him uh nick l i'm sorry says hello cohorts i've got a game for you can you guess the games based off the name of a quest or side quest in it i've given the game as well as a description of the quest afterwards all right the quest or side quest is called drive-through is that a grand theft auto could you be more specific four Oh, it's San Andreas. Yes, there we go. Way to go. It is a San Andreas mission. Yeah, the ultimate drive-through game. One. Yeah, it's yeah, going to be San yeah. Andreas. Uh, okay, this mission is called National Archives. Control out. Ooh. Okay, okay. Interesting. Control, no. Marcus, okay. you're going follow Fallout 3? Incorrect, but you're closer than you think. But not in the way of Wait, what was it, Marcus? <laughs> Was it Fallout 4? No. Uh, not Modern Warfare. National Archives. Which, New Vegas? Nope. Think about National Archives. Where is that? The Division 2? There we go. Way to go, Marcus. Way to go. Uh, the Priceless Maracas. Breath of the Wild? There we go. Way to go, super oh. fan. Love it, Kyle. Uh, thank you, Nickel, for your game. Value. It's not Sambe de Amigo. <laughs> <laughs> Those are quite pricey maracas, actually. Uh, Steven Toth says, Animal Crossing is pulling huge sales numbers and is having a big moment in pop culture. Do you think Nintendo will pivot, pivot it to being a top-tier franchise? I'm talking clothes, movies, more spin-off games. What do you think is the future of Animal Crossing now that it's a runaway success? I always considered it already a top tier franchise. Like maybe not quite Mario or Zelda, but I always pictured it already being out. Like they're they've all been popular and it's always been a big pretty big fandom yeah. around it. Like even before the pandemic, people were super pumped for this one. Yeah, I mean, but this one is kind of undeniably at a whole different level. I mean oh, yeah, absolutely. And Paul F. Tompkins are tweeting about Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, like like I bought it day one and I this is my first Animal Crossing game. Oh. Um, what do you think of it? Oh, I love it. I I was always going to buy it pre-pandemic. I, I thought this would be a good one to finally try the series. I've always been curious, and I didn't think I would like it because yeah. I'm not really big into kind of making your own fun, purposeless games. Um, so the, the Nick Miles stuff helps. But, yeah, I've fallen in love with it. I play it pretty much all the time. So. Nice. Uh, but, I, I, I mean, Nintendo's whole thing right now is more crossovers just with their licenses and stuff like that like they've been pretty outspoken that like you're gonna see mario and car commercials and stuff like that which they've made good on so i i think we are gonna see like clothes like animal crossing clothes and stuff like that like there'll, there'll be some major crossover it's I like the uniqlo stuff you know that i think they've been doing for a while but i could see it yeah. despite having the success i think they'll just stay the course like they don't, yeah has there I I was gonna say it's Nintendo. It's you know? Nintendo. Like they, they have they have smash hits. You know, like Breath of the Wild was the biggest thing ever. And I I don't know I don't know what a game would have to do for Nintendo to say, oh okay, well now we have to change everything that that we've been doing. Right. Like when they have another idea for it, they'll they'll make another game, and it may be a completely different weird thing. And I don't think that they would let the success drive them away from that. I don't think they're like, oh, what's this? Animal Crossing is popular? Hello, Hollywood. How about a mm -hmm. dog named Isabel? Hello, hello. Don't hang up. Um, Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, hey, Ben, the cohorts, what's your favorite PG-13 insult? 
In terms of the podcast, what's your favorite insult that you wouldn't have to censor? Personally, I've always enjoyed a good ass clown. <laughs> it's pretty good. Wow. Um, I think Marcus seemed wow. horrified. <laughs> ass clown was actually one of one of mine. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> it's a it's honestly it's a wrestling insult. I mean, it probably existed beforehand, but it got popularized by a wrestler. Mm, which wrestler? Uh, Chris Jericho. Oh, really? Is he um, yeah. good or cool or something? Oh, he's amazing. He's one of the best ever. Really? It's over 80. It's got a great podcast, too. I saw him in Jane Silent Bob Reboot where he played a uh, clan member. <laughs> I have not seen that, but I'd like to now. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. The PG-13 insult thing, uh, I think of like the words, the insults that I throw at my nephews, so it's probably PG instead of PG-13, because 13 is a little edgy for Min-Max overall, but... I, mm-hmm. I, there's two I really like. In the last couple of years, I really enjoy calling people a coward. I find that very <laughs> funny as an insult. Uh, and then the other one, uh, which is good all around, is calling somebody a weasel. Weasel and coward, secret ringers, but that's more the PG camp, I understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was going to say bird, but you still have to censor that. Yeah, that's but true. In terms of PG-13, if we're going by straight PG-13, I think that that qualifies still, yeah. right? Yeah, hey, no doubt about it. Um, Kyle, is your daughter saying terrible words? Uh, no, and in fact, just because of her personality, sometimes she like, will come to me and be like, Dad, I said a bad word to myself in my room. And I'll, uh, and I'll be like, I, you're not in trouble. <laughs> <That's God>. <laughs> wow, <laughs> all right, that's nice. I had a... weird. I had a, a, a friend in high school who would say this all the it, This is more of like a statement, but he would say it anytime somebody said a joke that was not funny. And it's still the most like venomous shutdown for like a bad joke. But he would always just very deadpan, just look at someone and be like, yeah, that was a, that was about as funny as cancer. Oh, Jesus. And then you're just like, holy crap. But it was like, so like every time the person was like, oh, wow, I, I suck. I guess. I think that dude so sucks, like, actually. <laughs> he's yeah, constantly he's just saying that. that. He, was, he was like... It's like the Cartman of the group will say. Okay, so he sucked. <laughs> I got it. Uh, yeah. Tyler Carver says, I've been mulling over the idea with my wife about starting a podcast with my son. What do you think about that as a concept? I mainly want to do it as an exercise for him to change the way he views things around him to be more in-depth instead of just absorbing. Is the idea of listening to a father having a conversation with his son about movies, books, etc. a worthwhile thing? Or is the idea of hearing an eight-year-old's voice like nails on a chalkboard? Don't worry about that and do it. That yeah. sounds like a great idea. Yes, Tyler, you're and, looking at this from completely the wrong perspective. You should be looking at it as if it's going to be fun to record and then assume zero people will listen to it. Exactly. Do, do it for you and your son before yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and I, I absolutely love that that lesson of instead of just consuming content, mm. learn get them into the into the habit of creating content instead. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you can call in at the end of the month for MinFax and we can podcast together. <laughs> and that'll be great. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that could happen? Uh, Travis McGowhee says, Hello, Hen Banson and the Nimzammers. He reversed it, everybody. Uh, <laughs> in the fake but should be real Smash Brothers style <laughs> Pixar fighting game, who is your main and what's your favorite stage? I uh, thought of uh, <clears throat> of Randall from Monsters Inc. Ooh, oh, invisibility! He's exactly. fast too. Just be a—he seemed like a good troll character. Just hide from everybody. Oh, 
he'd probably crawl it everywhere. He'd probably be pretty slippery to get your hands on. I'm annoyed by the concept of fighting Randall. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good one, man. The first instinct uh, is like, oh, I want Woody, of course, because his animation is so fun. I want to see that. And the drawstring, I think you could do fun things with. Yeah, that's like he's a good Mario, you know, like. Yeah, but he has of, to be there, but no one's going to play as him, you know? But think, like, his drawstring's a great recovery, like, the B-up. Like, he can use it to, like, rope back onto the stage and stuff. But then you mm-hmm. think, like, this is incredible. I mean, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Done deal. If you can oh, get over sure. salivating uh, on the screen. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would go Jack-Jack. Oh, interesting. Because he has, he has, like, 50 abilities, right? The OP. I guess so. He, well, he kind of be I, like I a think, Kirby. I think he would have like fifty abilities, but they would be random whenever you press the button. So it would be <laughs> just as no chaotic control. for you too. Ooh, that is a very would, fun idea. Would he just be like? Would he be carried by like one like Mister or Mrs. Incredible, or would it just be his small body bouncing around? Just be around? by himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the stage would be the Axiom stage because that would basically be like a nice straightforward like Star Fox style stage which is the Axiom ship in the background from Wally. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. I still was on the Incredibles uh train of thinking about like okay, what about like uh getting to the secret base and having those doors that open and close like that'd be a cool kind of like episode 1 style thing where there's just segments where those doors will open and close all the time and you're like stuck with different people at different times. Yeah. Yeah, I think visually the the land of the dead from Coco would yes. be really cool. Oh, yeah, yes, awesome. absolutely. Ooh, I'd also, I also just it's not what I don't think we maybe would immediately go to, but I think Merida would make like an awesome oh like Zelda style fighter. You know, she could sword yeah. and and uh, bow and arrow and stuff like that, and she'd look awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'd be all about that. Uh, also, another stage that'd be cool is the um, underrated demolition derby sequence from Cars Three. Uh, the oh, the good part of that movie. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, other than when Lightning McQueen says life's a beach and then you drive, uh, everybody knows that's the highlight of Cars 3. <laughs> uh, Phil S says, Hey y'alls, uh, I just read that Trolls World Tour has made more money being released digitally three weeks ago than the first Trolls movie did in its first five months in theaters. I know it's not a game question necessarily, but it is Kyle's favorite film of all time. So what do you think yeah. of that news? Is this the start of a new shift in how movies are released? I mean, yeah, like it, this is an isolated incident. I think there's no denying that, uh, that it was it was novel that this movie that normally would have been theaters is available in the home. Um, and then also, of course, the pandemic, like there's all these factors that make like I don't see all movies like hitting that kind of success. But like it's certainly it's already changing things. AMC is like boycotting Universal, like for suggesting that they might do this. So they say, I mean, I'm sure they'll fold, but they say right now, which is wild publicly, that we're not going to run Universal films in the theaters because you had the audacity to try and release your films in a way that's hard to Is that what all these notifications I get on the AMC app if I'm out? I I usually just ignore them. (laughs) F Universal. Yeah, basically. I mean, like, I love that Trolls. Like, we were excited for Trolls, and I we watched it at home and it was great you know like there's still a lot of movies i'd want to see in theaters but i mean there's a lot that i'm perfectly happy with watching at home at that 20 dollars rental like I, that's fine i don't i think that's pretty reasonable you know hmm. yeah i um, mean it is we're going to see the consequences of this for a very long time uh in hollywood it is bizarre but yeah the idea yeah. of AM- amc yeah, st- I was thinking about it just to write games my wife and i were kind of scoffing at it we're like i can't believe amc is doing this and and i was like well you know it seems outlandish but like 
you think back to when games were going digital and like yeah. you look at where games spot or GameStop is today, it's like maybe they should have put their foot down in such an extreme way in the past and that today would be different. You know, I don't know, but like it's it, things are changing. I mean, sure. that's the analogy. It's a fascinating idea of, yeah, what if a company just got out in front of it and tried to be a real stickler out of the gate? Yeah, you know, because it feels extreme, but it's like, what are they going to do? Yeah, and they of course. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And um, also, trolls is fun. That's oh, an cool. Note. That sounds great, man. Uh, Jay wrote in and he <laughs> says, I played through Hollow Knight recently and found myself struggling against one of its more challenging bosses. After four hours of trying, I finally succeeded. But this got me thinking. I spent my entire life playing video games and they can still be seriously challenging. But if I took someone who had little to no experience playing video games, locked them in a room with a Sekiro save game at the final boss and did not let them out until they beat the boss... How long would it take? Is it possible they would never succeed? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've been I've been stuck on a Boston Sekiro for about a year now, so exactly. And, games, and I'd imagine, so. yes, you're an expert. Can you imagine little to no experience playing games? Like, okay, let's just say, uh, Kyle, your dad, did he play some baseball games or something? No. Okay. Um, Jeff, has your mom ever played a game? Uh, not since the Super Nintendo days. Oh, that's fine. If you lock her in a room with the final boss, the Sekiro, and, you know, you're feeding her and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but how long would it take? Would she ever get out? I don't think she I would. I don't know. I mean, the the big factor of that is how quickly would someone give up, essentially? Suicide? Yes. No, like, I'm no. just going to live in this room now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of, of literally, of getting to that point where they say, no, I can't do this. And... The, and even if you had someone who was 100% committed to figuring it out, I think the just the dual analog sticks are a way bigger barrier than any of us give it credit for. Yeah, but if, if you were locked yeah. in prison and there was only one way out, I don't think anybody would give up. She would give up and then like three hours would go by and she'd be so bored that she'd have to keep trying it. Is she not allowed to leave so she doesn't? That's right. She's locked that, in this room. That's okay. what the sick so this letter is. This is, this is the movie. This is, this is the movie Old Boy, but with Sekiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called uh, Old Mom. Yeah, yeah so that, you have a brick I, wall to punch. You have to play Sekiro. What's yeah, I difference? feel like yeah, like my experience, like you said, is with teaching anyone that's never played games is the sticks, like learning how to control dual. Like, hey, this is this moves the camera. Like, that's it's impossible. You know, that's it's so hard to grasp for someone that's just so and, blind. And especially, especially a game like Sekiro. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at, at some point it you you can say like, well, you or you can think, yeah, you know, they're gonna get a hang of it. But at some point, it's like saying, okay, I'm gonna put you in a room and the walls are 12 feet high and you can jump out of it. You know, like no. at some point, you're just gonna stop and say, I'm I'm never getting this. Like this is no, impossible. it's not. One is physically possible, and one no human being on Earth has ever done. I mean, chiseling a hole through the wall to escape is physically possible. <laughs> They might they might find that easier than beating Sekiro. <laughs> I, I, I think, okay, let's take Jeffem's mom. Let's take her. Where does she live? No, let's take her as an example <laughs> here. Uh, at, with the final boss in Sekiro, I think it's like seven months and she would beat it. This... Man, I don't know if, if you had locked me in a room at the final boss of Sekiro without having played the rest of the game. Yeah. I think it would have taken me months. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, that end boss is brutal. Like, it took me, like, 
took me forever, and it took me playing the whole game leading up to that and learning every small, you know, strategy on the way there to even be able to complete it at the end. You yeah. Know? So what's your number? It wouldn't t- well, it wouldn't be seven, but it would probably be like two or three, you know? Two months? No, no, no. Okay, probably. what's your number for, for this hypothetical, though? Oh, I think like around that seven, eight. I mean, I think longer, honestly, like especially if we're using Sekiro as an example. <laughs> so, I mean, Jeff's mom, this would be over a year and a half? Yeah, yes, yeah. And she'd be losing her mind, begging for Jeff yeah. to help yeah, save I mean, her? You're also talking about someone in their, you know, late 50s. Your mom's in her like, late 50s? Yeah. I didn't know she was that young. That's shocking to me. You're I mean, an old man. My mom's in, my, in her 50s too. Late, late 50s, maybe early 60s. Okay. E- either, either way, though. You're almost in your 50s. I don't understand there, this time. There are, <laughs> there are physical limitations there that I don't think you're recognizing. So what's your number? How long has it taken her? I'm saying never. She would <laughs> die. I she feel like. Die in that room. <laughs> I feel like that person would have to be on constant suicide watch. Yeah. And we pay for the honor of playing these games. One of the best games of 2019. All right. Uh, Hey, boy, uh, James Baldwin. uh, This was in regards to apparently the internet is outraged over some things um, in Last of Us Part 2. I'm not familiar with anything beyond uh, anything too specific here. But James Baldwin says, why is it that in comparison to the rest of media and art, quote unquote, nerd media is so resistant to change? Actual story can't. Okay, boof, I'm blowing it. Resistance to change, actual story consequences or anything shy of giving the fans what they want. There is such a limited view on who and what are allowed in these stories. And as soon as it's challenged, people go absolutely insane. I know you don't want to just antagonize some of your audience, but how do you guys feel about fan entitlement and its impact on gaming? I think being a nerd, you know, in general, that means that you're really into something, like you're passionate about Mm. something, which means you like it enough to be 100% into it. So, you know, like being casual about something, you probably care less either way if something happens to it. Um, You may have some interest, but I think being 100% dedicated to something and someone going like, hey, we're going to move some stuff around in a big way in here. Like, your your first reaction is probably going to be at the very least, like, hesitation, if not just outright anger of like, oh, whoa, like, I'm, I'm fine with this as it is. Like, this is the best thing ever. Don't put that over there, please. Um, I mean, it's, I think also the thing with video games in particular is it's like a much uh, more, I mean, honestly, like, passionate relationship. You know, like, a movie is a passive viewing. It takes two mm-hmm. to three hours. Video games are something you, even the shortest games, you're investing two to three times as much as you would any movie into. And like, like you, you are in control. So like it, it just, it makes you closer to that experience to me than like watching movie or like a TV That's show. That's interesting. So because in the micro you're in control, you also assume you have more control in the macro with the industry. I think so. That's a yeah. weird idea. Hmm. But I'm, I'm guessing the, this question is also branching out to kind of movies and stuff like that as well uh i I guess so he says nerd culture nerd media yeah so i'm thinking also like marvel movies and star wars movies and all those kind of things and in in addition to what marcus was saying about kind of being super passionate about something i think people pour their identities into it and also Mm. and also the you know another role in the 
in the nerd identity is you're spending a lot of time online. And I think online discourse is handicapped right from the beginning in terms of your the interactions that you're having with people, you're not doing them face to face and everything is just starts at a more caustic level and a more defensive level. Yeah. And so and so when when people start changing or people don't like who's involved with a project or those kind of things, when it starts getting towards your identity and and your these topics that you're passionate about, I think it's you're more likely to go straight to argument mode about them. Yeah. And uh, not the MinMax audience, but how much of it is also I think nerd media is a majority uh, young men. And that's a tricky quadrant of society at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a factor, undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a tough age. It's a passionate age. Oh, my God. What is that? The hounds are coming. <laughs> what is that? Oh, somebody came in the house. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, uh, are they upset about the way this podcast is going? Yeah, they have something to say about some nerds in this thing. <laughs> All right, that's right. Uh, what do you guys like for question of the week? Uh, I like um, uh, what's the word? I've already forgotten. Uh, uh, guilty pleasure. I think it was an mm. interesting question. Yeah, I like I like that. I like the uh, the Pixar Smash question. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Game you would only play once. I'm kind of leaning Pixar Smash now. I think I like the second you're locked in a room, but maybe I'm dark. <laughs> Jeff, which way are you leaning? I think you just like locking people in rooms. Shut up. I feel like I've been locked in the studio for a while. I mean, I have the smallest of all of us. That is true. He is in a closet. Uh, I like the Pixar one. Okay. Let's give it to uh, Travis McGowie. Congratulations. Uh, You just won a code for Into the Breach on Steam. Thanks to Rob Hudak on Discord. So be sure to thank him over there. Uh, All right. I think it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Uh, Marcus, um, do you have something prepared for Get a Load of This? And would you be so bold as to go first? Yeah, uh, Get a Load of This. Woo! You did it right. Thank you. Um, So uh, Gary Witta, games writer, also co-writer of Rogue One, has started a talk show in Animal Crossing. What? Yeah, he started a legit late-night talk show in his Animal Crossing town called Animal Talking. Are, <laughs> All right, Gary Widow. Good name. Good name. There are two episodes out. There was a pilot and and I guess the first official episode. And it's literally he decorated the basement of his home to look like a late night talk show set. Amazing. And it looks amazing. He has a a drummer who was another person on I guess the stream who is like I guess the in house band. He just sits at the drum and emotes and talks. Oh my and god. He has legit celebrities come in to his town and sit down on his couch and he just conducts a talk show in animal crossing like the uh the pilot i think he had uh, naomi kyle on okay and it's one of the cutest and most brilliant things i've seen in recent it's one of those ideas that's so good you yes. almost kind of kick yourself like why didn't i think of that <laughs> i'm now very outraged that i didn't think of that <laughs> it's, it's brilliant in a, yeah like it's on his youtube channel and i think he streams it on on twitch okay but, um yeah, I haven't seen a full episode. I've seen chunks of it, but it's it's amazingly well done and just another reminder of just the amazing things you can do with that game. Yeah, I love the idea of him in the middle of this interview. Suddenly it's like, 
<laughs> villager incoming and it just goes to like the plane landing sequence because more people are coming in. It's like, oh no, now they have to leave. It's just what a terrible interruption. Uh, that's a great one. Uh, Jeff, do you have one? Yeah, get a little of this. It's not as good as that. Uh, it turns out if you Google dogs at this point, like <laughs> like dog breeds, Google just has virtual dogs that show up in the results. What are you talking about? So wait, you Google I, like Chihuahua or you Google dog? Yeah, if you Google Labrador, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a 3D Labrador shows up. That's like that you can click on. This must just be a mobile thing with Android because this is not coming up for me. Is it? Not on the Hold browser. On. I have an Android. I'm checking. <laughs> yeah, we just got like any, dog, any dog. I'm, I'm not hallucinating, am I? Are you uh, just looking I, at a dog? Oh, wait, no, I'm in. So I, I Googled Labrador on my iPhone. There it is. Oh, my God. It's there like it's it in is. the room. And if you, if you click on them. Yep, I got it. They'll too. show up, and they start barking, and you can zoom in on them. Weird. It's another man. I'll Nintendo, be damned. Just changing everything. Yeah. This, Nintendo. This is the future. I love that. That's very so confusing. Get a load of that. Uh, <laughs> hey guys, uh, get a load of this. Um, this developer from the Initiative, Microsoft's mysterious new studio that everybody's been trying to figure out. What are they working on? Is it old stuff? Is it new stuff? Um, a developer left. Um, but he updated his LinkedIn profile with these details. Uh, he's an expert in blueprint programming in Unreal Engine 4. He's a scripter, technical designer, gameplay designer, systems designer, responsible for supporting level designers, system designers, engineers with scripting needs. Also at the initiative, he designed and scripted various weapons, gadgets, and a camera surveillance system for an unannounced project. Responsible for scripting and creating various world interactables and gameplay objects such as doors, destructibles, hazards, triggers, triggers, and more. Uh, so this only means one thing, ladies and gentlemen. They have to be working on Perfect Dark, right? <laughs> I feel like we're inching closer. Perfect Dark does have doors. You're right. And hazards. But the <laughs> weapons, gadgets, and camera surveillance system, I mean. That's the laptop gun. Yeah, he's the one responsible for the laptop gun. Um, it's but a Five yeah, Nights said Freddy's shooter. Yeah, you never know, but I still have my fingers crossed. I just, I worry that they're going to be embracing some third-person story experience from Perfect Dark, which is not what I want. I want wacky multiplayer Perfect Dark, but that's just me. Uh, but still uh, fun to try and read the tea leaves and figure out what the initiative is working on, and fingers still crossed. But uh, Kyle, you got one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a quick one. This is actually, I, I don't have the person who sent it to us, Hanson, I'm sorry, but they actually sent it to you and me on Twitter a mm. few weeks ago, and it's the opening of the animated Mortal Kombat movie that released on Blu-ray oh, on yeah. Tuesday this week, and mm. it's like, it's WB Animation film, and it's like the standard uh, WB Animation uh, like logo card that appears before all the movies where it's like, it shows WB Animation, and Daffy Duck comes out, and he kind of runs around, and he goes crazy, but the the wild thing about the Mortal Kombat movie is right when Daffy Duck is finishing up his shenanigans, Scorpion opens up the panel and says, get over here and grabs him by the neck and pulls him out of the, the frame, which is insane. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. it, it blew my mind that like a Mortal Kombat character was grabbing Daffy Duck by the neck and, and saying, get over here. It's, 
Yeah. And then Ed Boone shared it and he said, never thought we'd see this. Definitely a bucket list moment. That's very fun. And I think people tweeted wild. at me because in that rapid fire with Ed Boone back at Game Informer, I handed him a fake design doc and asked him if he wanted to make a Looney Tunes fighting game. That's right. Yeah. This is this is how he came up <laughs> with it. Where, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's only because of that. You got it. Now we're going to get a crossover, Looney Tunes versus MK. There it is. Any day now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, did you ever get a load of this that you pulled from the community discord? Yeah, we forgot last week. I know, I feel bad about it. I'm sorry, everybody. Yes, but get a load of this. Uh, This one came from Jay Walter. Do you regret having kids in the Discord? (laughs) That's a Minfax inside joke. I'm sorry for my sins. Uh, He he retweeted Pretty Boy Montessori on Twitter, but it's it, and he this Pretty Boy fellow didn't have to do much. Uh, He he just asked which which onion headline do you think about the most oh amazing and basically it's just this incredible list of people retweeting their favorite headline onions uh and so i i pulled a couple of my favorites out of there that had me chuckling yes uh classic box with cooking instructions immediately retrieved from trash <laughs> <laughs> uh dog's eye gunk wiped back on dog <laughs> very good uh, unidentified wooden pole leaning against garage wall. <laughs> uh, this war will destabilize the middle, the entire Mideast region and set off a global shockwave of anti-Americanism <laughs> versus no, it won't. Peace. <laughs> uh, man unknowingly purchases lifetime supply of condoms and he looks very depressed. About it. <laughs> uh, and, and then these last two really got me. Jurisprudence fetishist gets off on technicality, <laughs> which is just brilliant. Uh, and, and then a, a very close cousin of that one, standard deviation not enough for perverted statistician. Wow. <laughs> Man, uh, and I mean, there were there were a ton of other ones there. Yeah, I mean, I yes. think we all feel this way, but like it makes me mad. Like I get angry yes. when I see mm-hmm. an onion headline that how funny it is, and and click hole <laughs> and stuff, which is like it's upsetting how consistently funny yeah. that website is. It's yeah. insane. I remember one time at Game Informer, I was complaining to Jeff Cork about uh, the men's bathroom. And then he just sent me a link to an onion article where the headline just says, bathroom smells like shit. <laughs> 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 and then still my favorite onion article oh it's so stupid but it was it's from 2016 like around when harrison ford broke his leg you know and, I'll, and on force awakens and the article is just like part of this series and so the article is headlined lucky to be alive colon harrison ford got chased by a love-struck loch ness monster after green paint spilled on him <laughs> it's just like <laughs> It's just this Lucky to be Alive series where it just describes Harrison Ford in absurd situations. <laughs> it's always like some Looney Tunes stuff. There's a, by the way, there's a, you'd have to go track it down. It's, it's a pretty old episode. I, I want to say like mid-2000s or something. But there's an, a This American Life episode where they kind of are in the Onions offices. Yeah. And they sit in on a pitch meeting. That's really fascinating and interesting. Oh, that sounds great. Mm. I want to find that for yeah. sure. Uh, hey, Marcus, thank you for joining us, sir. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, the floor is yours. What would you like to plug? Um, well, like you mentioned before, my YouTube channel, it's Marcus Makes Media. We're get, I'm getting towards the end of my 30 Days of Backlog series. After that, who knows? I got some stuff planned. 
It'll be a surprise. It's a surprise to me too. Like I said, <laughs> if you want to do this stuff, you don't really need to know what you're doing. Just yeah, make it happen. Absolutely. Uh, also, my uh, Twitch channel is uh, Marcus Streams Games. You usually stream Tuesday, Thursday nights. And of course, uh, personal website, Marcus Writes About Games. Uh, WordPress.com. And on Twitter, at Marcus Stewart7. It's the number seven. So Nice. And you, you do go. a lot of freelance writing still? Yeah. Uh, writing. Uh, reviews and stuff primarily for Screen Rant. Uh, I've done some stuff for Fanbyte earlier this year. And basically anyone that'll take me. So yeah, always looking for work. We'll <laughs> hand out there <laughs> when it needs reviews and stuff. I'm there. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I get around. Nice. Well, definitely stay in touch. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on, man. And thank you to all of MinMax's $50 supporters. Uh, that's I am 8-Bit, Easygoing Gaming, Jawar Hello, Seth Walker, The Smack, Mark Seliga, Jesse Vitelli, Mirko, Arico, Torino, Zachary Pliggy, uh, Ludwig Roque, James Smith, Steve Bamdad, David Lelucci, David, or Rob Hudak, Yarrow, Michael Jacques, and Cameron Wardlaw. Thank you for helping support MinMax and keeping this whole indie trainer rolling. Uh, if you'd like your name to be read in the future and also a custom thank you video and a bunch of other benefits, please check out patreon.com slash minmax 2 ends. Okay, that's it. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's Bye. go. Bye. Vice, you Start making sense, you rotten book, or you're gonna be sorry. Maybe I'll rip your pages out one by one, or maybe I'll put you in the furnace. How can someone with such a big, smart brain get hypnotized like a little huh? Oh, Shadow Lord, I love you, Shadow Lord. Come over here and give Vice a big, sloppy kiss, Shadow Lord. Now pull your head out of your and start helping us!